0: Hey guys, this is Dungeon Master Mitch from the Dungeon Master's Block. I'm here before the show starts to tell you about some really exciting news so that you know what we have going on on our show on the Dungeon Master's Block. First off, we've talked about it before, but I want to talk a little bit about it again. Arcade Con. We are going to the RPG Academy's Arcade Con. That's coming up in November The 13th through the 15th, we're going to be there on the 14th, but we highly encourage you guys to go for all three days and enjoy that awesome con. There's going to be great people there, great games being played, and even better, great swag being handed out. So I want you to head over to Kickstarter and search ArcadeCon, that's all one word, A-C-A-D-E-C-O-N, and back them and get your tickets there on kickstarter hurry up because spots are disappearing like a level 20 wizard so once again that's november 13th through 15th it's in oxford ohio come on down or up or over wherever you're coming from meet with us meet with the rpg guys and maybe even play a game with us how awesome would that be in other news for a limited time for Only this month of August only, we have a Dungeon Master's Block t-shirt up for sale. Some of you guys have said, hey, where do we get a t-shirt? And now I'm going to tell you where you can get that t-shirt. You're going to go to teespring.com slash make me a rider. teespring.com slash make me a rider. It is an awesome rider of Shemesh team shirt it looks fantastic head over there there's a couple designs you can pick from but remember it's only available till the end of this month so order now so we can get all those orders processed and ship them out to you so you can be a part of the riders of Shemesh this works just like a kickstarter so we need to make our goal of at least 20 shirts ordered or no shorts get ordered so Head on over and order them so we can get our goal made, and hopefully then we can make more in the future. That link is, once again, www.teespring.com make me a writer. All right, that's all I got for you guys. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on, of course, the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at your table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And we want to welcome you back to our second-ever edition of Raw Real Monsters. This week we're going to be focusing specifically on some pretty cool monsters. I think Mitch, one of these is by far probably got to be oh your it's my favorite. favorite. Yeah, the my mind favorite players.
0: mind players, and then we got Minotaurs. Yes, so if you're not in that order though, not in that <laughs> Minotaurs order,
1: and mind players. Yes. But if you're if you're trying to follow along in the fifth edition monster manual, they're on pages right next to each other, so yep. you won't have to turn the pages at all. Alphabetical. So, uh, yep. Get your get your monster manuals out and start doing some homebrewing of your own for these creatures and. Pay attention to this episode, because we have a lot of cool things that we'll be talking about. And, and of course, we have
0: these. two homebrew creatures of our yep, own.
1: That we do. And so you'll hear about those in a little bit. I think both of these we've used before. Yep, we have. You've seen mine recently.
0: They oh, are the yeah. Mirror Men. Oh, yeah. We've seen them <laughs> twice now. One you love them.
1: S- yep, they are pretty awful. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so we'll we'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, we'll be talking about the Ice Shriekers, the creatures that you guys have heard about in the Ice Cavern. My ca- In my campaign that they're currently going through... But before we get into that, and before we get into story time, we have some shout outs to do. And so the first one comes from one Mr. Lance Ransom. He writes, keep your head in the game, five stars. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for around 15 years and have been a dungeon master for about one. And I must say, I absolutely love this podcast. These guys know their material and even more so create their own with confidence and style. While I don't always agree with their rulings, I cringed when they revealed their Crit 1 theory. Uh These boys know their stuff and deliver it well. Most importantly, this is top-notch ear candy, and when I'm at work, constantly delivering new perspective and inspiration for my quests. So, Mr. Lance Ransom, we thank you for that review. And we don't always
0: agree with your rulings either, so there you go. There you go.
1: (laughs) We can agree to disagree on some (laughs) things.
0: Okay, so the next one is coming from kicking panda and it's entitled player tested inmate approved this is actually a really cool I review. remember when we all we got the this reviews one are cool but this, kind is of really like, sweet, this is a really sweet this cool. is not a review this is a sweet story so it's long but it's great kicking panda says I was introduced to DD and tabletop RPGs three years ago in prison as ridiculous as it sounds it actually turns out to be a pretty good way to kill time when you've got nothing but time. We played 8 hours a day, 7 days a week. I got thrown into DMing pretty early, and it was certainly a rough learning experience. Obviously, we didn't have all the resources available out there, so we had to make do with what we had and come up with the best ideas we could. I imagine that if I had the information and ideas in this podcast back then, things would have been much easier. I would really recommend this podcast to any aspiring DMs out there, and to any experienced DMs that are looking for some fresh ideas or insight into how other people might run their games or handle situations. It covers a wide range of topics, regarding the art of DMing, from tips on world building to dealing with problematic players, something that I had to deal with a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that it was certainly eye-opening for me as a person who has only ever DM'd and played tabletop RPGs in prison to learn about how people are running their game outside and the types of challenges that they face. I don't currently have a gaming group, but I'm listening, learning, and preparing for the day that I find some new players so that I can put to use all of the ideas and resources I've gained through this podcast. And this time, I'll be able to use some real dice instead of dice made out of paper (laughs) and glue. (laughs) Hey, may do with what you did. That is awesome. Thank you for just sharing your review with us and sharing a little bit of your story with us. We really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kicking Panda.
1: The last one that we have for today comes from Galactico Supreme. It says, filling my nostalgia tank. And it's five-star review, of course. He writes, I haven't played D&D since middle school in 1995, so 20 years ago. When did that happen? (laughs) Uh, Yet I have the absolute best memories playing after school with my fellow nerds and outcasts in the fluorescent lights of a classroom. Each one of us hung off the words of our DM, Mr. Pareta, the science teacher. I laughed, cheered, felt remorse for stealing, in-game of course, (laughs) and just had a fantastic time. This podcast has enlightened me to how skilled Mr. P was as a DM. The traits that Chris and Mitch advocate, the how-to-deal-with-this-type-of-player methodologies, and on-the-fly story changes are all reflected in my memories of Mr. P. Thanks for enriching my memories of a great DM and a great time in my life. I haven't a clue where that guy is now, but I hope he's still DMing. Keep it up, best of luck, and maybe, just maybe, I'll be on that side of the table when my kids are old enough to roll a d20 without thinking it's candy. <laughs> that would be awful if your kids thought it was candy. Yes. <laughs> Trips to the emergency yep, room. Yeah, exactly. That's sweet. Thank
0: you once again. That's thank you Galacto Supremo. That's another great story and just of how like guys listening who are DMing like that could be you as a DM that you make yep. such an impact in somebody's life and gaming life because of the way you dm so be encouraged by that review by that story now
1: he's galactico supreme so <laughs> and made a big
0: exactly so thank you to all three of you listeners for writing in those reviews with that let's head to story time story time the time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns our favorite moments, where we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now, as we enjoy time. Alright, for story time this week, we are changing up story time a little bit. We have decided we're going to try to record our story times right after our D&D sessions, so it's fresh in our mind. That's what we're doing right now. We've done this before, but Chris and me were just like, you know what? Why don't we just have our players join us for story time as so well? So if we sound a little bit sleepy, that's probably why. <laughs> it's because it's late at night and we just played a long game, a good game, but a long game. So tonight we had playing, of course, DM Chris was part of the group and he was playing Kroor. We had Hashtag Magic Mark. What's up? Playing Rix. We had Paladin Caleb. Greetings playing Grouthoof and as playing torque we've talked about torque who was an npc and uh we had a buddy who was able to finally rejoin us at the table we had you've never heard him before on this
2: podcast jp
0: what's up guys so uh tonight we played my campaign and you guys have been stuck in this really big maze for a long time at the beginning of the night i actually said to you guys i was like all right, like, I'm going to help you guys cheat through the maze since we've been in here for a long time if you guys want and get you out of there. And Chris was like, yes! yeah, I'm totally cool. With it. And the rest <laughs> of you guys said, no. <laughs> no, we don't cheat. We make our way. So you guys are still at the end of this in the maze. But we had a really good night. Let's talk about what happened in the
1: maze on this night. What did you guys encounter? Yeah, so the first thing that we did is uh, we walked around for a little while. I constantly said, "We should cheat. We should cheat. We should cheat." And you guys were like, "No, we're not gonna cheat." And uh, we we walked around for a little bit. and We finally found this room where there was this uh, statue with.
3: It was like a lady holding a fountain. Yeah, basin yeah, she was holding like, a, there, was like a, there was like a there was
1: like a fountain underneath it, and it looked like there could be water coming out of it. And in each corner, there was a riddle that we had to answer. And so we looked at the first one. I don't remember exactly what it said, but we looked at it. Didn't know what it was. We went to the second one. We looked at it, read it, and we were like, oh, it's water. And the one that we were just at lit up behind us. So we, we gave the right answer to the wrong riddle, and it ended up working well, out. Well,
3: fun fact of this was that I had heard the riddle on my way to the restroom and listened to it, like, before closing the door. And when I walked back, I was kind of out of the loop. So I just walked in and went and goes, oh, it's water. <laughs> and you guys were already moved on to the second one, and that's kind of how we got the first one.
1: Yeah, so we, we kind of walked around. We figured out the next one, the third one. So we tried the first one, it lit up. Tried the second one, didn't light up. Tried the third one, and we got it. And it was secret, I believe, was, was that one. And out of the little water pitcher that she was holding fell a gem and it was the gem that represented Yandala. So we ended up getting that gem, and we were like, well, let's just figure out the rest of them. And so we walked around, we found out the rest of them, and we found out that when we said the last one, all of the doors closed on us, and a light on Yandala lit up. And we, like, we, I think we could all say we had this moment of like, Oh crap. <laughs> like what the heck is <laughs> How going on do we here? Get out. Yeah, so then we were just like, uh, we say heart again and then it all went down and we found out that this was like a safe room for us. Like if we drank out of the water, it would heal us. And so we figured out like this is a place we can come back to and constantly stay if we need to to replenish and and recharge. So
0: So you guys left and you had another gem. You needed two gems now and you turned a corner in this maze and you found a familiar enemy you had fought before these mirror men, these creatures who uh, have mirrors as faces and will look at one of you guys and basically assimilate all of your powers and take on your powers. You see the face of the person that they're copying and you know who it is you're fighting. So tell me, tell the listeners about that battle and how that went down
2: for even from the first couple of times we fought these things already now i, I kind of get wary about casting spells and showing you that i have spells that i have a particular spells when i do this but at the same time we just leveled up and i had sleet not sleet storm we, i had ice storm and so i was like okay we're gonna go ahead and, and throw this down and see if we can just do some damage right o- right off the bat but then i just did crummy rolls and didn't do hardly any damage to them and then you had two of them Duplicate me and cast that spell on all of us. And I rolled damage against us, and I rolled almost max damage for both of those casts. And so we both took a bunch of damage. Then you had two of them uh, replicate Rix, who's like massive DPS. And when they shot, of
4: course, they shoot after the tank, which is the character I play. And being full health, taking damage from the magic and then taking damage from the arrows, having two crits in that. So the damage went from, okay, whatever, to exponential lengths, and took 99 points of damage right off the bat, first round, and the tank went down,
1: like, instantly, and everybody kind of freaked out for a second. And at that point, it was like Kruar was freaking out. He's like, oh, I can't do anything now. Like, I can't sneak up behind him. I got to freaking save everybody. So uh, I think it was your your tier of the god on Torque ended up glowing. And I ended up taking that and pouring it into his mouth and making sure that he survived. Because it was like, well, this is going to suck if our tank is completely 100% dead for the rest of this fight.
3: Luckily, DPS came in to save the day. Even though DPS, the mirror of DPS, caused a lot of problems. Yeah, it sucked. So eventually we took them out. I think, yeah, I didn't take them all out, but I definitely did my shit. And then share. Like, the,
2: very, the very next round, yeah. the, the DPS mirrors took out Grouthoof, the caster me so everybody we were 50%
3: dead for a good round and a half yeah or so which was relatively terrifying considering we only had two tears of the god left yeah so we had this moment where it was like oh no dead is dead now for <laughs> for the first time in a while since since these tears have kind of come into play but yeah there was a few terrifying moments luckily we pulled it out in the end and survived thanks to crewor's quick <laughs> quick potion pouring skills and my lucky arrows that started critting the bad guys as opposed to friends so you guys you guys survived
0: you continued down the maze and you found this area that had water flooding the maze you had seen this before but this is a different part like it was close to where you guys were but you hadn't been down this corridor and it reached a dead end so you guys decided oh we'll swim down one of you uh jp had gotten the cloak of the manta ray so you're like i'll change and you went down you found the secret door you're like i'm not good at this came back up gave it to cruer Crewer went down Crewer opens the said door grout you turn into a shark. You give Kruor and Rick's water breathing. Torque gets the manta ray, and you guys go through these tunnels. And eventually you figure out, oh, we've been down this tunnel. This was just a way that I, we could connect to it. But you you had this moment of, hmm, should we swim around down here, see if there's anything? And
4: something made up your mind for you guys. Groudhoof and Torque could just kind of look. We're like, oh, look. There's a giant shark probably going to come over here and eat us. So instead of doing what the players wanted to do, like, let's fight it, let's fight it, let's fight it, let's fight it. And it was definitely an internal battle between JP, the player for Torque, and Caleb, the player for Grouthoof, of going after this thing. It was,
2: we, we we got to a safe place so we could like actually sit here and make this decision. Like It wasn't so much like a life or death thing at that moment. It was just kind of a matter of whether or not we were going to really do what the players wanted to do and go in there and... And fight this shark that we really didn't have to fight. Like that was the main thing. Is we we realized after we got to a safe place that we didn't really have to fight this. We could just kind of go back and, and work on the maze since we had already been through the section that the uh, shark was occupying. But yeah, JP and and Caleb players both both really wanted to see if we could find a way to kill this shark, and we had we had a pretty good idea of how we could do it without wasting too much resources. But but we didn't have to, and we kind of felt like our our characters didn't really wouldn't really see a need to do that since they don't register experience as a currency. So... So, so yeah, so we decided we would just kind of move on. That, w- that was a tough decision, though.
4: Definitely heartbreaking for both of
0: us.
3: Ricks wasn't sitting there going, man, if we kill this shark, I might get slightly better at crafting arrows. Uh,
0: okay, so you, you, <laughs> you, you passed on the giant shark battle. Caleb's still a little bitter about it. And you guys... We both are. <laughs> you guys finally came to another big room where you're like, okay... Gem is coming up. I know it. This is this is the formula here. You step into the room, the door closes behind you, and a giant half lion, half man, some might say huge Leonin <laughs> appeared before you. I was so excited because I've wanted to use this mini that I created like for the longest time. I finally got a chance to use it and started doing battle. This was meant to be a difficult battle. I thought you guys without I was like, I wish you guys had your tears left. This was meant to be one of the first battles that you guys found in the maze you guys took a very convoluted way through the maze and so you didn't hit until now when you only need two gems left this thing lets off this roar which is supposed to make all of you afraid you guys boss your will saves (laughs) and and how did the rest of the
4: battle go (laughs) was it difficult well we boss way our way through the first will save and we all got a hit off the people who could and then when he let out another roar After he moved closer and missed his attacks on Torque, which is right there in front, the second will save roar, everybody but Torque failed and ran away, at least tried to.
3: Yeah, we didn't really have time. But I think prior to that, we all got pretty successful hits in right off the get-go. We got a significant amount of damage right off the front. And we're lucky to get those alpha strikes in. But then, yeah, with the second failure of the save... But then we had this moment of glory, which, JP, you can clearly take it for yourself.
4: Well, okay. So the first will save, nat 20 on the roll. So he just kind of like, okay, whatever. You roared at me. No big deal. (laughs) And got a crit on him on the first hit. The second will save, everybody, two people, I believe, got crit ones, and somebody got, like, a four, a two. My bad, a two. The
3: die said two, but the save (laughs) was, like, five.
4: Yeah. And Torque again, somehow, miraculously, got a nat 20, and... No, it wasn't, wasn't that 20. It was like 19 or something like that, but still managed to beat the will save and just kind of looked at him like, oh, you're cute. Thanks for roaring at me. And then as he swung, got another crit, That on intimidating roar, not realizing what was going to happen. I believe he chopped the thing pretty dang hard and knocked him down while his roar was still going on. And it just kind of overdid that giant lion man beast roar. And he believes scared him half to death, which allowed him that final hit to
3: knock him out. So, the boss was really easy
4: when he was supposed to be hard.
0: Yeah, you guys took that out way quicker than I was expecting. It was quite ridiculous. All right, so now you got only one gem left to find which is awesome, but as Hashtag Magic Mark you said, it's also kind of like finding a needle in a haystack now. like We only have one left to find. It's going to be hard to find. So you guys keep on going in the maze, and we have another great Grout Hoof story for you. There was this huge room. We've talked about it before. There were four stone statues of dwarves in this room and a giant pit. You guys had in a previous adventure in this maze had to run around, these these statues came to life, chased you down. You had to basically destroy one of these statues to get a gem. And you guys were pretty much like, okay, don't want to fall in the pit. The statues probably try to push you down the pit or something. You guys are like, this pit does not look good. You guys are now trying to find this one stone,
1: and you're like, desperate. We're pretty sure it's Garl Glitter gold. So yeah. we're like, it might be underground or something like that. We might have to go and get it. And so you we're know like, it's Growl a gold hoof. gem. Yeah, we were like, Grouthoof... If it's underground, it's a big pit. We're not just going to recklessly jump in. Like, why don't you go down there and see if you can find out? Maybe it's, maybe it's just sitting at the bottom. Yeah. Who knows? Like, it could be something simple like that, <laughs> or you have to fly down a little tunnel or something like that. But, yeah, so he, he flew down there, and he left for a little while. Yeah,
0: And by a little while, <laughs> we mean that Grouthoof was gone for 20 hours, about. <laughs> we had figured it all out. You had an incredible journey <laughs> Why don't yeah. you tell us about that journey? And, it, and
2: really, nobody was more surprised by this journey than me. Because I, like, they were like, let's go down this. Let, let, how about you go down and check out this pit, Grout And I was like, I didn't really think it was necessarily going to be a very fruitful trip. And as far as the way it was intended, it wasn't that fruitful of a trip. But yeah, it was really, really cool and exciting. Well, first of all, there was a nice little bit of confusion as far as getting down there and wondering if I was going to be able to get back up out of this pit or if I was just going to go down and then not going to be able to get up and just die falling through this pit because my my transformation ran out. But once I get down to the bottom of the pit, I don't know if I mentioned this, Grothuf turns into a hawk as a druid to, to fly down there. And uh, he gets down to the bottom of the pit and there's just this, uh, like a... A sort of portal, visible view of the of a sort of a topographical view of of Shemesh, or not of Shemesh, of of all of Atos, really, in a way that really no one in this world has ever seen it yet, and really seeing parts of it that no one in the known world knows exists, and that was just really exciting. There's there's a bit of a discussion and question, especially oh, with they Mark.
3: Oh, definitely know that I am curious. Yeah. A large number of them, those who participate in the forums, you guys should go check it out, are well aware that I tend to go, hey, is the world round or flat? And I've tried to weasel my answer out in plenty of different ways. And so I'm still very curious. What do you see, Groutov?
2: Well, well, while Gravhoff was down there, I actually I was, I thought of Mark. I was like, you know, Mark, Mark... I know Mark has some questions and wonders about this sort of thing. So I, was, so I just kind of was... I, I asked a few kind of pointed questions about what I was seeing to really get the most out of the, what I was seeing for that particular inquiry. I've come to the conclusion that the world is either flat <laughs> or it's not. <laughs> so
1: there's... Conclusion conclusions: it's either flat or it's not.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: So it's I square. <laughs> I, w- I was
2: able to. Like, we have a we have a game a game board of, for uh, Atos Risk, and what I saw was basically the bulk or the almost the entirety of that map. So either that map is one side, really one, not even the whole of one side of a globe. And the other side is just ocean or has who knows what else on it. Or the world is not a globe. It may not be flat, but it's not a globe. Or it is a globe, and there's just more on the other side of it. (laughs) So what you're saying is you're worthless to me. I gave you more information. It just doesn't answer your question. (laughs) Well, then it's worthless.
0: It is a pretty big thing in your world now, because like you said... We're playing early history in this world, so you saw a lot of the planet that you as players know is there, but your characters have no idea. Nobody at this point, at least in the area that you're living in, knows about these lands because basically in this part of the world there's the, the place where you live in the continents that you the countries that you live in and you know of and you know there's lands to the south but it's savage jungle down there nobody travels down there you know the dwarves have come from there but you saw like places across the sea and the world knows basically they call that sea the endless sea because they believe no matter what direction you go in you're just going to keep on sailing, (laughs) that it's never going to end. That's the belief that your characters are accustomed to. And so this, to your characters, was like crazy world changing. This this was not something that I was also planning for, for your character to fly down this hole. I'd like to say that eventually I'll describe what the purpose of this was, is to tell everybody what this is. I'm sure we will get to that at some point. So I guess remember this, but I can't unfortunately because all you guys are listening to it right now, and I don't want you guys as
2: players. I don't want you guys to know. So <laughs> I do. I do have a theory. I want to go ahead and put into the thing, and I don't. I'm not sure if this is like. I, I really don't even think that this is the thing. I just think this would be a really cool thing if this is the way it is. Just because I see, I, I, I From what Grouthoof saw, I'm disinclined to think that it's just a globe with a bunch of water on the other side. It could be just a globe with actual land that we don't know about on the other side, but that doesn't, that doesn't seem quite Mitch to me. But, it, but I think what would be really cool is if it's not, strictly speaking, flat, but because like, I, I could see the whole world, but it'd be, it'd be interesting if it was a, a world where it was flat, but you could still sail off of the east side and come in on the west side. Like It was like this sort of trans-dimensional connection happening at the end of it. And so it wasn't like you couldn't ever fall off of it, but it's not really round. It's pretty much flat. Or... It could be like they have in Halo, just a giant ring with endless ocean <laughs> all the way around
4: with nothingness in between.
3: Maybe. Uh, I guess the last thing we could do is with the Halo concept is the Dyson sphere, where it's the interior surface of a ball, which is kind of cool and crazy. But that that would be really difficult to s- simulate with Grouthoof's perspective vision. That being said, who knows? We were on the celestial plane, this whole divine section. So they might have just been like, this is what you see right now. And it's nothing accurate to the world. It's just what we want to show you right now.
4: I feel like the gods are being a little sassy towards us and our curious ways of flying over walls while being hawks and flying into holes while being a hawk.
3: Well, yeah, I think it's funny that the gods are messing with us when this is supposed to be like our present for doing this quest. I don't know. This is a horrible <laughs> gift. We all died.
1: No, we didn't. <laughs> Crew never died. He gave up his God or tears of the God. I'm
2: not sure that this is really something that was created specifically for us or created specifically for the people who fulfill this quest, whatever this whether it was intended that it be us or it would just be whoever it was. This view of the world that I saw doesn't have to be like a view that we were intended to see, and obviously the DM didn't intend for us to see it, but I don't think we have to infer that the that the gods intended to show us this view of it either. I feel like. It could be just or I, I think it could be just this was created as something for the gods. It's the gods thing and we're just granted access to it as a as a benevolent gift for our quest.
1: Well, we do. you said that things passed through there, and so maybe it's a portal that the gods might take to get in there.
2: I actually wasn't able to confirm anything going well, something through something
1: went it. into it and never came back. It disappeared when it went through there, right?
2: I, no, I, I summoned a creature. I summoned, I forget what it was that I summoned now. I summoned some sort of bird, just with a low-level summoning spell, and I sent it through it, through this portal thing it's, and it was tough to really tell if it was a portal or what it was or whether it was like whether it was a portal or if it was actually a real-time view of something and of the planet of the planet yeah that's too specific of a word this view of Atos I, so I sent this uh, this bird through this portal or whatever it was but once it hit the barrier it disintegrated which could be because the range on this casting is a certain number of feet and the other side of that portal is unknown distance away but more than that distance and so it just it hit the edge of that distance and it dissipated because that's what happens when summoned creatures go beyond their borders or it could be that nothing is actually able to pass through this barrier and so it hit it and disintegrated or i think i had a couple other theories at the time that it was happening but i didn't have anything in my bird form to test it with so anti-magic field that's possible too Plenty of answers to that question.
0: Here's an answer that opens up seven more questions. (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of... uh, This is going to be a long story time, but a lot of good discussion that was brought on by something that I didn't expect you guys to do to fly down this hole for 10 hours and then fly back up. And Groudhuff was exhausted when he made it back up. But uh, I'm glad you guys did because this hole is important to say the least it's something with this this hole isn't there just for no reason and yeah part of me was wondering if you guys were gonna jp i think torque was contemplating running and jumping the hole like you were like adventure time go
4: but yeah pretty <laughs> much you guys decided had against 120 it. feet of rope so he hit the bottom and he would fall yeah it was it was really cool though that
0: you guys did that and you guys can Keep listening. Eventually, I'm sure we'll. I'll get to reveal Atos round flat. What's what's going on? While Grouthoof was gone for 20 hours, the rest of you guys were up the to best something. Best thing else. ever happened. <laughs> so we mentioned on the podcast before that chalk does not work in this dungeon or in this maze because
4: little black furry things come by and lick it up like it's candy or something.
3: These little masked. I want to call them flumps, but I know that's like an actual D and D thing. They remind me of. Actually, a creature from Star Trek? I'm
4: thinking Paper Mario. Little fluffy, spiky things that drop from the trees in one (laughs) world. You know what I'm talking about? That's one
3: thing. But there's like the tribbles or the trebles or the tribbles, tribbles from Star Trek that they're just little balls of fluff. These things are larger. They're like basketball size, I think you said. Beach ball, whatever. Beach balls are various sizes. Where a basketball has a standardized size, no,
4: there's women I'm not, I'm not and much men of a tr- size. So there's two different sizes to basketballs also.
2: I'm not much of a trekkie. When I when I picture these things, I imagine them as being like um the, like the bad guy, the, the the little fuzzy bad guys in this anime that I saw. I can't remember the name of it, but everybody lives below the earth, and um and then they come out and there's there's these monsters. It's like a Gundam show except for it's like post apocalyptic kind of thing. I was hoping that one of you guys would have seen this and know what it was called. I was really hoping that. I'm sure the yeah, internet will Gundam tell you.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: no. So anyway, capturing the flumps, for lack of a better title, what we did was these things apparently eat chalk because Oli Damara is, at his heart, an internet troll set to real life. And by real life, I mean pretend D&D life. We devise a trap of placing chalk inside of an opened treasure chest.
1: I remember doing this trying to catch a hamster that was running around our house (laughs) one year. We put a (laughs) carrot in there with a stick on a box and tried to pull it out.
3: Yes. Your classic rope-on-thing-closes trap. And... We were like, we got to give this a try. And it was conveniently enough, the treasure chest that Grouthoof stole a ring from us at earlier. So there was like this palm raised up in the middle of the chest. And so we placed a single thing of chalk inside of that. And then we waited. We set up a mirror. We had a long rope. And we were just like, let's capture ourselves some of these things. And so we waited a decent amount of time. And... Next thing we know, we see them coming down from, like, not the ceiling, because there isn't a ceiling, but, like, down the walls. They're, like, scurrying, really paranoid and jitterish. And then we have this moment where one jumps in, and the other two guys are, like, grab it now. And I was, like,
6: hold, hold. And it's funny that it's coming
3: from you, who's always, like, shoot first, ask questions (laughs) later. And then it, like, pops up and gives, like, the all-clear flump language... Call sign, yeah, gave a little wiggle, and then more jumped in, and then I go, no!
4: And all three of us, in unison, pull the rope, pull the sword out from underneath, and the lid dropped down, and they all scurried away, and I think the chest started shaking a little bit with
3: four of them inside of it going crazy. So we we captured a small number of them in this treasure chest, and then we had the, the moderate hurdle of getting them out but still maintaining our capture. Yeah,
1: it was kind of like, Kuro was like, all right, I'm going to stick my hand in because I got the littlest hand. Am I sticking my hand into like a piranha tank right now? Like what's going to happen? Is, am I going to come out with just a bloody nub? <laughs> like, just yeah, got we don't,
3: he don't got no chainmail glove or anything. So you stick your hand in and manage to grab one. Nothing eats your fingers off or anything like that. And you pull it out and I have like a sack ready. And we're This was a what? team
4: effort, by the way.
3: Yeah. It oh, took all it three totally of us like...
4: just to get one. We got two, but it took all three of us to get that first one.
0: Not because they were strong, but because they were super fast.
4: Somehow, magically, Kruar was able to get his hand out, still holding onto it, as Torque lifted up the ch- opened up the chest even more so he could get his hand out. And then as the other three scurried away, somehow, magically, Torque, being the master rolling that he did, <laughs> managed to catch another one as it was leaving with a grapple check, I think it was, with something, something like that was... That. At least
3: 20 times his speed. So now we have two sentient chalkboard erasers that we just carry around with us. We
1: may have just unleashed the worst plague on Atos ever if we can get these things back.
2: For the better anime nerds than me out there who who knew immediately what I was talking about, and nobody at this table did. I just remembered it's called Lagann. It's the bad little Furby mean bad things that run the run the evil Gundams in Lagann.
0: Thanks for that, Caleb. Yeah. So you think that rust monsters are scary? Well, they might just bring back some chalk monsters to the world of Autos. So you guys, that's what you guys did for the first about three hours. That. Uh, Caleb Grouthoof was gone. Then you went back and you waited. And you waited and you
1: waited. And right when you were about to give up hope, Caleb flies. Yeah, out. we basically gave it till Rick's was like, All right, when I finish this book, he's dead. We have to keep <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. You guys were like, we're not jumping
0: down with him. If he's dead, he's he he was able to fly. If he's dead, he's dead. We'll shed a tear and we will have a funeral but so you guys waited and waited and eventually Gradoff did come back. You guys helped him, brought him back to the safe area. He told you about what he saw. You guys are like, whoa, that's crazy. And that's that's obviously from this podcast right now that you're hearing sparked the most discussion. And then we ended the night. Well, and then we kept on looking for this one gem afterwards. You guys are like, that's crazy, but we're not going down there, so let's keep going. And you guys went on a mad quest. And that's where we left off on the night. You guys were jumping around this maze through these teleportation masks of old Demara, And you guys still have one more gem to find. Chris
4: really wants to start cheating and just get through this maze.
1: I wanted to cheat at the very beginning <laughs> of the night.
4: Chris is like, mega dungeons suck. And Caleb doesn't give in a temptation easy at all. The whole time he's like, nope, no cheating. And me and Mark are sitting here like, maybe, maybe we should give in just a little bit. And then Caleb's like, nope, nope, nope. Nope.
2: If we spend about three more sessions still looking for this one gem, I might say okay, let's cheat. If we stay three
1: more times in this mega dungeon, I will quit playing <laughs> D forever. That's all I gotta say.
2: Right, new
3: goal. <laughs>
1: Alright, so that's that's where we left off. Our adventurers have
0: no more Tears of the God. So dead, like they said, is dead. They have although they've traded in their two Tears of the God for two fuzzy chalk-eating monsters, and they have one more gem to find. And they're one step closer to
2: figuring out if the world is round or flat.
0: Not really. So, that's where we ended this week. You will have to turn in again another week to find out if they eventually make it out, this maze, or does it take them three more times? We'll see. Alright, with that, let's head to the meat.
7: I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah.
6: Why can't we have some meats? Just no. that. a mouthful! No! <laughs> Looks like meat back on the menu, boys!
0: Alright, so for today on The Meat, we are going to talk about Minotaurs, Mind Flayers, and two awesome special homebrew creatures that me and Chris have talked about before here in Storytime. Yeah, you've heard um, both of them so far. In fact, one of them was <laughs> featured today, but... We're going to talk about them a little bit more, the lore behind them, their special abilities so that you could use them in your games. And and talk about Minotaurs and Mind Flayers more so that you can know them more than just the picture in your mind that comes when you think of them. If any picture comes up at all. (laughs) Yeah. So the first monster that we would like to highlight today, Chris, is the Minotaur. And so first, the question, of course, is a Minotaur. What is
1: it? What is a Minotaur? Well, if you look at pictures of it, it looks like a really, really big humanoid bull-type creature. Yep. They stand probably about seven feet tall. There, I mean, you could have them look any number of ways. You could have them with huge horns. You could have them with no horns. I think a lot
0: of depictions in Greek mythology where it got its origins, I've seen pictures where it's literally the body of a human, like Mm -hmm. the naked body of a human with a bull's head. When you look at the D&D version, it's not that. I mean, first of all, they're wearing loincloths usually. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they're more hairy. They've got cloven hooves, yeah, like, for feet. Like- yeah, they look more like a bull would. Yeah. We've talked about beast folk before. If there was a bull beast folk, which there are variant bull beast folks, yeah. but a Minotaur is a monstrous version of it.
1: Yeah, yeah if you've played World of Warcraft, they would be, like, a playable character would be the tauren you can yes. play as that would be something that you could look at and say, Oh, that's what a minotaur is. Yep. So they come from Greek mythology. There's some stories of them being within labyrinths in mm-hmm. this world. You know, you walk through a big old labyrinth and you'll run into one of these minotaurs walking around with a big old battle ax. And that's one of your challenges that you have to get past in order to get to the end of the, the labyrinth. You may not run into one ever, uh, but you might run into one within this within the labyrinths of Greek mythology. So that's that's where they come from, or they were a very first edition monster of Dungeons and Dragons. So 1975, when it all started, to present, it's still in the fifth edition monster manual, and so they've been a constant staple within the Dungeons and Dragons world. They stand about seven feet tall, and they usually weigh usually weigh about 700 pounds. So you think of like a seven foot basketball player, but just with a heck of a lot more. As far as the special abilities that a Minotaur has, it has dark vision, first of all,
0: so it's able to see pretty well in the dark. And as you would expect something with the head of a bull, uh, a Minotaur is known for its charging attack. The Minotaur can use a powerful charge attack on their enemies. It does a lot of damage and it also will push back their enemies as well. It's a bull. Yeah, I just <laughs>
1: picture like when you see cartoons or Looney Tunes, when you see these bulls that see red, they get like the yeah. the red in their eyes and the steam coming out of their ears when they do the charge attack. Like that's what I. The imagined. Minotaur
0: sees adventurers, and it gets yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's their color yeah. red
1: as adventurers. Yeah. Yep. So they also have the scent ability, so they can smell things that normal humans would not be able mm-hmm. to smell, uh, and they also have a, what's called labyrinth recall, which means they can't get lost in a maze. Oh. Uh, they remember every path. They have ever taken. You've heard that an elephant never forgets a minotaur. Never forgets (laughs) as far as directions. If you're ever looking for some type of creature to go into a maze with you, try befriending a minotaur before you go in right now, Mitch, I'm thinking, man, that'd be really great. If I was a minotaur in your world in the maze that we're currently in, Yeah, that would be really nice. That would be nice. So they have this thing called labyrinth recall. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Really convenient for them. If you are a minotaur, if not, sucks for you because they're gonna remember where you are (laughs) so where can these things be found normal bulls or cattle you think of being found in fields and pastures when you think of minotaurs think more underground 3.5 it said that they're underground in places such as like mazes they can be found in dungeons they can be found in ruins and then all those places they have that that memory so if that's their place that they stay in a maze or
0: a dungeon or ruin and you go in there you're on that minotaur's turf oh yeah (laughs) like they know where ever like every angle this doesn't mean that they have some like weird connection that they know where you are right however if you're trying to run away from a minotaur Like, they know the place. Like, they have the blueprint in their map. They have that photographic, like, memory of, like, directions. So, if they know that you're in their their maze, their labyrinth, their dungeon, you're probably in trouble.
1: They see you turn left, and they know that there's a shorter path to get to you. Oh yeah, they're probably that's a good gonna point. take it. Yeah. Yeah. like you might think, oh, we lost him, and you definitely have not. Yeah, <laughs> you're not. If if the minotaur knows you're there, you're not. And he scent, yeah. so it's like he can see, he can yeah. smell if you're coming. He's close.
0: probably gonna know you're there before you know he's there. Right, right. So that's kind of what 3.5 says underground, and then 5e talks about mazes, dungeons, things like that. However, what about? other environments like what are some other environments minotaurs could live in we see in like narnia like the movies the books like minotaurs are different than the D &D minotaurs so why not take that for your world if you're making a homebrew world and want to make minotaurs different maybe they live on the grassy plains (laughs) in fact i think if your minotaur is more of a natural like humanoid instead of We'll talk about Minotaur origins in a little bit, but if you're talking like a beast folk kind of Minotaur, I would think a grassy plain would be a perfect place because they're going to want to eat the grass, right? They're going to want to
1: have herds and such like that. Yeah, and there. maybe these are more druidic type minotaurs yep. that you would find out exactly
0: in open fields. Which things. is completely not what the d Minotaur is, but right. we talk a lot about homebrew worlds and homebrewing races and all these kinds of things. Why not break that in your world? and? especially for those D players who've been around for so long that they're like i know what a minotaur is you change it up a little bit like yeah. you throw something different you throw in some oh what about a good aligned minotaur you know like and like you said chris if you could befriend a minotaur to help you out through a dungeon that would be fantastic yeah. like even if you don't have a map you basically say to the dm who has a map like i'm gonna ask the minotaur How do we get back? And the Minotaur is just going to lead you back. He's going to have no trouble. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. He's not going to be Gandalf in the Mines of Moria. He knows where he's going. Yeah. So a few special notes to mention about Minotaurs as well. Some of These are pretty cool. I like their origin stories that they have for uh, 5th edition specifically. It says, Minotaurs are the result of humanoids who were part of cults and transformed by the evil god Befomit, or the Horned King. He creates the Minotaurs in his own image. Some cultists ask the Horned King for great strength power and some for freedom from authorities chains their transformation was the answer to their prayers and so you <laughs> you see like i almost wonder what this process was like was it just like yeah. they prayed went to bed one night and woke up and they were minotaurs or is it like a lycanthropy like yeah. transform only there's no transform back like i that's what i think of like
0: i think of like a hulking out moment like a I love the movie League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where they show you uh, Dr. Jekyll turning into Mr. Hyde. Like oh. That's what I imagine it being, like, total, like, painful like skin ripping yeah skin ri- yeah. like your muscles Crying bulging and agony. looking disgusting like yeah. hair growing the horns bulging out of your head Ugh. like i feel like that's gonna be
1: painful <laughs> but not a nice god <laughs> yeah i think like you you think of normal lycanthropy you see like a wolf check like, changing into a wolf we all know what that looks like i've yet to see in a movie somebody changing into a minotaur and yeah. watching the horns grow out like that's got to be a freaky experience for anybody around like so say like your your brother or something like that praise this prayer, and all of a sudden is next to you, and you're just like, ah, I'm not doing that now. Like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and so they were the result of cultic practices and prayers to the evil god, Befomit. The interesting thing about them, so even though they're the creation of cultic worship and being transformed through the the acts and prayers to Befomit, they can still breed their own offspring. So nothing as far as their breeding possibilities changed when they did that their languages that they speak in fifth edition, they speak abyssal.
0: Which I think is because probably of that origin stuff that they put in. So it's much cultist that like they are much more abyssal like evil origin creatures. Right. Whereas in three point five they spoke giant. I feel like it might have been much more of a natural like thinking of their origins back then. Right. Right. Uh they're also known to be solitary creatures. And Beyond that, there are also carnivores that eat other humanoids. So if you're traveling through a maze or a dungeon and you have heard that there's a Uh, minotaur in there be wary because he beats you he's gonna eat you don't
3: pet that cow Billy.
0: (laughs) so he talked a little bit about like what what about like changing up minotaurs though like what about just creating other minotaurs for your world and so uh you know that solitary thing doesn't need to be the way that minotaurs in your world are maybe some minotaurs in your world are solitary maybe some are tribal and travel the land like in a nomadic tribe and like we said they live on the plains Maybe you change up their alignments. Maybe that's how all of them are and they're still evil, but maybe then there's neutral ones that perhaps they don't even worship the god Baphomet. Maybe they worship Obad High, the god right. of the woods and nature and stuff, and they're much more into balance and everything. Maybe they are good minotaurs that you see in like Narnia. There's good minotaurs in that. You can do whatever you want in your homebrew world setting and introduce all different ways of looking at the Minotaur. All right, so now we've got some adventure ideas, some encounter ideas for you to use the Minotaur in your games. Chris, why don't you start us out with one?
1: Yeah, so my first idea is going along the same lines as what we talked about already with the Minotaurs, is befriending a Minotaur to take you through a maze because they can see something, whether you get lost or not, you can find your way back out again, however it is that you want this to work. Maybe he has seen a map of this labyrinth and you believe him that he's seen the map of this labyrinth and he can get you right to where he needs to go. Cause he can remember those types of things. Maybe this minotaur, you're like, Oh, we're going into
0: this dungeon. Oh, it's a huge dungeon. I wish we had a guide. And maybe this minotaur is like, he lives in town and he's just like, I am, <laughs> I, I'll work for
1: you for the right price. Right. So if you share like some of the percentage of it with me, I've been through that dungeon before. And so you start going through this dungeon, and really the thing is this Minotaur knows this dungeon or this maze because it's his dungeon or (laughs) it's his maze. And so he really has, like, this egotistical personality that he's like, yeah, I want people to come in and see my treasure hoard, and then I'm going to kill them once they're in here. That's how he adds to his treasure hoard. Yeah, that's how he adds to his treasure hoard, right? Uh, So that was was my first idea is, like, you get tricked into, you know, you're really trying to go and find this treasure hoard but it's really the Minotaur that's with you's Treasure Horde, and he's basically lured you into a trap.
0: My idea was uh, I love the 5e monster manual uh, and all the information it gives. It talks about the cult of the Horn King and gives that whole background to the origin of the Minotaur, and I just think it, with all that information that they put in these books, if we let that information go to waste, we're really doing the the writers a disservice. So I think play that out like make their a adventure where your adventures in your campaign are hired to go take down one of these cults of the horn king and there's rumors that like they are telling people lies that if they f- join this cult and follow bafo that Baffle mutt will turn them into a mighty minotaur and so mm-hmm. there are all these evil people are joining this cult and so the authorities tell you go and shut this thing We're down take, take, take them that, out yeah. And, of course, what would that battle or that whole adventure be without the end scene where one of the worshippers actually gets transformed into a minotaur and you have to then kill a minotaur? Or if you're playing higher level, maybe Baphomet just like everyone's a minotaur. Kill these adventurers. And then, like, if you're at the point where minotaurs are just easy
1: as heck to kill, well, throw a
0: bunch of minotaurs at
1: them. Well, and I was thinking too if this was like a one shot, what if one of your characters got captured mm-hmm. and is like up on this like stone platform and all of a sudden you're like looking at him from around the corner
6: and boom,
1: he just gets changed into a minotaur <laughs> right in front of your like face and then and then it's like a punishment to him now because they because you were trying to stop it, right? And so then you have to do the duty of like, well, do we kill him? Do we try mm-hmm. to find a find a way to reverse it? Is there a way to reverse yeah, it? Like Yeah, you could have this like big battle and maybe if
0: one of your characters fails like pretty much he gets killed what if you go for story purposes he doesn't get killed stat wise he did get killed but you're like don't worry you're not killed and by don't worry you have a smile on your face because you say oh you get dragged off and you'll appear again and he gets transformed and like you said yeah is is he now evil like because Baphomet changes him is he just filled with rage There's to like complete yeah. alignment change and everything? And then that could be a, that could be the boss battle at the end is yeah. you fight a minotaur that is
1: controlled by one of the ex PCs. X party members, yeah. That's cool. So my next idea is you are like you're you're called in from a city, a nearby city, by a local farmer who has told you that his quote unquote cattle have escaped and are running around in the nearby forest causing havoc and you you have been called in to wrangle them back in. The thing that he didn't tell you is he secretly had these Minotaurs enslaved and doing work for him around his (laughs) ranch. Uh, However, he does that, whether it's, you know, rings of control or, you know, however it was that he did it. But for some reason, collars or something like that, somehow they've escaped, though. And he's willing to pay you big money to wrangle them back in because these things can get a ton of work done for him. Right. They're seven foot tall, 700 pounds. Of course, they can get a lot of work done for you. So these things are prized to him. And he's tried to keep them secret for the most part. So he really is kind of like, all right, this needs to be done under the table. Make sure that you can do this and do this well. Don't kill any of them, right? Um, so that was my idea is that you have a local farmer who's enslaved <laughs> some of these
0: minotaurs. That would be just crazy.
1: going past like a town and you just see minotaurs out in the, like, out the field. field, like plowing. And, and maybe like... that's how a whole civilization has been built is off of the slave labor of minotaurs, right?
0: So that's all we have for you for the minotaurs. Now we're going to get to my personal D&D favorite monster, the Mind Flayer. And so first off, what is the Mind Flayer? Well, the Mind Flayer was created by the Gary Gygax back in 1974. And if you see the Mind Flayer, a picture of a Mind Flayer, know what it looks like, you're going to realize how true this is. But it was inspired by the Cthulhu mythos uh, because of the tentacles and the Mm squid-like appearance, of course. Um, so it was created back in first edition Mind Flayer has stayed strong
1: all the way to the present. So you said this, you know, these Mind Flayers have been from first edition to the present. Yep. They're considered one of the most classic Dungeons oh, and yeah. Dragons monsters. Like when you think Dungeons and Dragons, it's hard to go without seeing I mean besides Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> Mind Flayers are right up yeah. there as They've one of the been staples on numerous top 10 monsters of D&D charts yep. throughout the years. Yeah. They have product identity with wizards of the coast yep. like nobody else has the rights to make anything like mind flayers in the world so you also said that they look like they they come from the cthulhu mythos they look like humanoids with heads that resemble that of a squid or an octopus oh, so yeah. you, you hear these tentacles they have four tentacles around what appears to be a lamprey mouth and if you don't know what a, what the heck a lamprey is go look up a picture on google <laughs> and see these like layers and layers of teeth that these things have. Yeah. And that's what you're fighting. Yep. And there's a good reason why it has that kind of a mouth. We'll get into that, yes. Their eyes are a very pale white. So they just, they look intimidating when you look at them and you just look at this squid-looking creature, this face, and it's just got pale eyes. I must imagine, like, glazed over a little bit. Well, and then speaking of glazed over, so they have uh,
0: purplish-blue to gray-green skin, depending uh, and all of their skin is covered in this mucus, which actually is a sign that the mind flare is healthy and getting its its nutrients that it needs. I'm it's really diet. Glad humans are
1: not like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Mm, honey, you're looking very mucousy. <laughs> you, you must be, be eating really- well, yeah. <laughs>
0: Doctor. I'm not getting the my right amount of mucus coming out of my skin. <laughs> <laughs> Can you help me? Normally, if we have mucus coming out of our skin, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, they're also strong psionic creatures. They use their minds to overpower a lot of their foes. We'll get into that. So as far as monster type, mind flayers are medium aberrations, which an aberration we've talked about with beholders before, but they have really bizarre anatomy. So if you were to cut open a mind flayer, don't expect to see the normal like human-looking anatomy that we would get if we cut open a human. Right. <laughs> They also have a very alien mindset, which makes a lot of sense because in a lot of the origin stories, mind flayers
1: are actually aliens. And of course, with all that being aberrations, they have dark vision. I almost imagine when you were talking about the bizarre anatomy, cutting it open, like when they did the x-ray. You remember Invader Zim? Remember that show at all? When they do the x-ray of Invader Zim Zim, and it's just like, (laughs) what? There's nothing. Like, where's his heart? Where's his, like, there's nothing in here. That's normal.
0: Well, yeah they could have six hearts we don't yeah, know right yeah <laughs> we have no idea that's, and that's kind of the thing that if that interests you that you want to throw that in some way like go for it as far as i know there's no diagram of a mind flares anatomy so have fun <laughs> yeah 20 hearts you want 20 hearts you got 20 hearts you want 60 hearts you got six hearts, hearts for all hearts for everybody <laughs>
6: heart <The laughs> right. oprah of
0: mind flayers. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yet they're the, like, one of the meanest, cruelest creatures. Yeah, they right? have
1: 60 hearts somehow. Yeah. They all <laughs> shrunk. So there are some special abilities that mind flayers have. Dark vision, which, yeah, like, we said, to, yep, like we said, like we able to be seen in dark. Magic resistance, so yeah. they have they have advantage okay. on all saving <laughs> throws against magic Now we're already getting stuff. into, like, oh, my gosh, these things yes. are scary. These things are scary. These things are not level one monsters, everybody. Yeah, so we'll talk about this a little bit. They have, I mean, you said they have psionic powers. Yep. So they're able to use magic, use spells, use—I mean, they can use spells text like yep. they can levitate, dominate monster, plane shift, which That's is crazy. freaky in and of itself. Yep. Like, hey, where'd he go? <laughs> I don't know where he went. You know. So you you have these types of things. They they have telepathy. Mitch, why don't you talk about this next one? Well, well, f- with the telepathy, I don't
0: know if it actually states this anywhere. I have never been able to find it, and I love me some mind players. so. Please, if you know the answer to this, if I'm wrong here, write in and let me know. But as far as I know, there's nothing saying that a mind flayer can or cannot speak normally with its mouth. They're psionic. They're super strong psionic creatures. So they just speak to each other and to other creatures through telepathy. However, I don't know if they can speak with their lamprey
1: mouths. Normally, yeah i know it says like, like languages they have is deep speech and undercommon, yeah. but is that all through telepathy yeah. too well and that would be their go-to
0: but can they speak i know that when i i played a mind flare that was severely nerfed in a prison campaign that we played a long time ago i kind of took the route that they couldn't like mm. and so i would speak telepathically to other players of course which was me just talking because i Personally, right. I can't do that, right. obviously. But whenever like somebody would ask me to speak, I would just make this weird like la, 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 sound, kind of <laughs> like uh, what's the movie? Kind of like in Galaxy Quest, oh, the yeah, weird yeah, aliens yeah. Like, <laughs> who come out and they can't speak with that. So, like yeah. that was what I took it
1: with. But I, I'd be interested to find out. And if there is nothing out there, you can do whatever you want. Well, and like, hey, I you know honestly, I think what's more intimidating: something that can speak out of its mouth, even though it's a lamprey mouth, or something that you are going to hear in your head. Yeah. Speaking oh, telepathically. so much more intimidating. Yeah, so much more intimidating. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're the only person that hears it. Yep. So freaky. Yeah. And then you got, they're in my head. Do they know everything I'm thinking? Blah, blah, right, blah.
0: Right. It's so much more scary. And then if they just come up to you and do little...
6: <laughs> <laughs> that's even more
0: intimidating, While, man. like, grabbing the back <laughs> yeah. of your head oh, looking yeah. at you. Oh, gosh, that's it. You're done, man. <laughs> There's no more time. Yeah, okay. So, and then they also have this thing called the Mind Blast, And so this is one of their powers, and so it sets off this 60-foot cone, which it does psionic damage, a ton of psionic damage, and it has a chance to stun the person who gets hit by this, anybody who gets hit by this. They can do this five to six times a day. All right that's crazy. Now think about trying to invade a mind flare society and getting surrounded by mind flares. And it's just like mind blast, mind blast, mind blast, mind blast. And it's like, like, Oh, I I made that. I'm not stunned by that one, but I'm stunned by this one. And it's just like, you're like, they hope you can make your DC check you. a million times yeah. around in, in D and D lore. These things used to rule the universe. Yeah. And with powers like the, this, it's very clear why they could just incapacitate some of the strongest creatures with the num their numbers and with their really strong mental abilities. Well, so what happens when they incapacitate? Somebody? Okay. That's a good question. <laughs> they love slaves. They love to conquer. And so, like we said, they have their four tentacles. And so they are able to grapple onto somebody. And we mentioned that they're, they have their mucusy skin that shows that they're healthy when they get their right nutrients. Mind flayers love the taste of brains. That's their nutrients, humanoid brains. And mind so, what they'll flare, do kind yes, of in the word, <laughs> kind, kind of, of in the name, sense. they flay your minds. So they use their tentacles when they mind blast you, like you said, and they wrap around your head, and then they use that mouth that we talked about Ugh. to suck your brain out. Now. It doesn't talk about this in the 5th edition from what I saw, but in older editions it did 3.5, and I love this. There's two things that can happen to you when a mind flare decides it's time to go and wrap its tentacles around your brain. You can either die. Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> There's your first one. <laughs> the second thing is you can become a mindless thrall, which is just a slave to the mind flare, and you just exist. You're mindless, and you're a vegetable that follows... The mind flayer's commands because of its strong psychic ability. Now, if that mind flayer dies, any thralls that are connected to that mind flayer just collapse. They're done. They're dead forever. No more thralls. Right. But that's like that's even just makes them creepier. Put a mind flayer down. Scary enough. Put a mind flayer surrounded by its lunch that are now is now following and obeying every it's every command. So I know in three point five at least you would roll. A percentile and a certain percentile of men dead or thrall, and so that's how the mind flayer would attack
1: you. And oh my gosh, terrible, terrible, so scary. <laughs> so, where in the world can these things be found? Well, it's not just the world. No, nope. it's pretty much anywhere and everywhere. We yeah. talked about the fact that they have this ability to shift from plane to plane. They can be found in other planes of existence. Yeah. They were once said to rule the universe. Yeah,
0: in the Spelljammer modules. It said that mind flares. Basically, if you know anything about Spelljammer, like it's basically D anD D in outer space. Yeah, and so the mind flares had like these armadas of like squid ships that they would fly <laughs> around the galaxy and like fight, get the Yankee ships and everything. It's crazy. <laughs> it's cool, but it's crazy. It's sweet. Um, so yeah, they, they powered- can be anywhere. Yeah. It, like with their plane shifting ability, like you said. And just their lore is just they are just in all different kinds of places. Yeah,
1: in in most Dungeons and Dragons worlds, though, you'll probably find them in the Underdark, yep. and that's because their skin is so sensitive to light. Although it doesn't harm them, no, they hate it beyond belief. The sun, but yeah, it doesn't. Whether actually, it's the warmth or it's the light or whatever it is that's on as their a skin, player, they go oh they, just they hate the hate sunlight,
0: it. and you think that it's gonna hurt them as a dm realize no it will not because they'll do it they they won't like it they'll probably try and get away from it probably try and change things but it does not actually do any harm so some other things to note about the mind flayer uh they also go by the name of illithid uh we we mentioned this before they're so strong psionically they are all going to be genius level intellects so just a society of genius level universe conquering monsters. So scary. No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) They're known as psionic commanders. So like we said, they love their slaves. And if there is any real potential danger, they will use their thralls to fight rather than putting themselves in danger first. Like mind flayers are all very, there is a mind flayer God, but very few of them actually worship this god because mind flayers believe themselves to be god They're very arrogant. Yeah, they're (laughs) very arrogant, although their society isn't based off of them. It's really interesting. Mind flayers are weird creatures. Some will choose to focus their studies on arcane arts rather than the psionic abilities that they have. But if they do this, they're usually considered deviants by other mind flayers and often shunned and sometimes
1: banished by other mind flayers. It's almost like giving up what you were innately born with for something that in their mind isn't as good. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the curious
0: ones that can't stay away from the arcane arts. Like it's almost like there's a superstition
1: among mind flayers or yeah. Like you said, like, why would you dabble with that when we have our superior power? Like, well, and maybe in your world too, it's like the, the ones that are curious about arcane magic are the ones that encountered a wizard or something like that, that saw arcane magic happen. And we're like, I can't do that. I'm a genius. Why can't I do that? I have to find out what that (laughs) is and why I can't do it. Yeah. So it could just be their curiosity that gets them into trouble. As far as what they eat, we've talked about this a little bit. They eat brains of other humanoids for nourishment. When they devour another creature's brain, they will also take in part of that creature's memories, personalities, and their fears. So I told you this, I was trying to watch a little bit of that show, iZombie, yeah. <laughs> back, back when it first started coming out, and that's when I was reading that, I was just like, that makes me think of them being like crime-fighting people that see <laughs> other people's minds, no. uh, because they can have the personalities, <laughs> memories, and fears of those creatures. So eating the brain is like an act of euphoria yeah. for a mind flare, Which so, is
0: weird because if they get their fears too, like how is that an act of euphoria? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like that's like the like one thing that's of... weird to me, like that they gain their fears, but it's like euphoric for them. I understand the memories, the personality. I would even understand like glancing at the fears of the creature, but if they yeah. actually start to gain its personality and fears, like that's kind of weird that it's
1: euphoric. It could be like a bad hallucination or something yeah. if you get the like a bad trip <laughs> a bad or something trip. like that yeah like you know you, it, it could be some sort of chemical makeup yeah. in that thing's brain oh yeah gives them this sort or of like euphoric or or, <laughs> or brains if they come across the whole city you know that's an interesting question like what what does a mind flayer's mind
0: look like <laughs> And if you put a bunch of mind flares in a room with no windows or walls, would they eventually start eating each other's brains? Do really hmm. smart humanoids' brains
1: taste better than <laughs> <Yeah>. stupid people's?
0: <laughs> yeah, do they Who knows? Do, is <laughs> it like gourmet? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> and then like you go to the grocery and then, market like, they F- discount beef. like brain, Yeah. <laughs> so, discount brains.
1: <laughs> Taco Bell for Mind Flayers. <laughs> Gosh.
0: They'll sometimes instead of eating the brains, however, they'll harvest them and use them for weird experiments. And for a really good example of this, you if you have the 5E Monster Manual, you probably want to check out page 191, where it talks about Intellect Devourers. Intellect Devourers aren't our monster here that we're focusing on. However, there's not a lot about them, and they are centric to a mind flayer society. So we'll tell you a little bit about them. They are really interesting. Basically, it's a... A tiny creature, it's a brain that they create legs for this creature to add to their thralls and other weird creatures. There's so many weird creatures that mind flayers create. If you do a Google search and Wikipedia mind flayer, you get all these weird mind flayer creatures, such as the brain golem and such
1: like that. Intellect devourers are another one. Chris, tell us a little bit about the intellect devourers. Yeah, these things are crazy. They almost remind me a little bit of like we talked about tomb spiders back in the day, where like Horrifying. they, yeah, <laughs> where they lay like their eggs inside of this thing and it like walks around. Yeah. And then, so these intellect devours, they're basically brains from creatures that mind flayers caught that were subjected to terrible rituals and all of these tests. And they like sprouted these four almost like canine-looking legs. Yeah. And so what these things end up doing is they go around and they will attack things that they find. They will consume the brains, and then those bodies are used as, like, puppets. Yeah. <laughs> that they, so like... creepy. Yeah, they, like, use to lure other things in and devour more brains and get more puppets. So if you're going through the Underdark don't
0: trust anybody because they might not actually be themselves. They might yeah. have an intellect devour yeah. controlling them. Yeah. And like you said, they have these canine-like legs. However, that's the image they show. I wonder if, because these are experiments, I wonder if that's like magic probably not magic because these are these creatures mind flares well, are they're, not
1: big into the arcane yeah so the way i they, wonder they get into like these things by teleporting so i wonder yeah. if they have some sort of like psionic abilities as well like are they using other creatures to
0: add as the legs and so when you see an intellect devourer or a bunch of them do they all have all different weird legs could you see one with like human hands or just <laughs> two pairs of like human feet just walking ro- around that would look creepy <laughs> that would be weird yeah so we'll talk about mindflayer society a little bit a mindflayer city or settlement is normally around 200 to 2000 mindflayers so next time you think hey we can take this mindflayer society on just realize that the normal one has at least 200 chris if they can cast mind blast 5 to 6 times a day <laughs> And there's 200 of them. Do the math for me. 1,000 to 1,200 times. ridiculous. For only 200. <laughs> Can you handle that? I don't know about that. That's you have crazy. to be really lucky. Even level 20s are going to crit one every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. So, yeah. I mean, that's not crazy huge comparatively to, like, what they talk about where they used to rule the entire universe, which... Can you imagine like just like tens of thousands, millions of mind players? I just wanna know the how city. they fell out of control of the universe. Yeah. They don't thing. they don't go into a lot of that, but it's which I kinda like the mysterious origin. I mean
1: the gods could've done something about it. Like, I know it, that the it, Gith know,
0: Yankee were probably part of it because yeah, they were right. slaves and they decided to rebel and Gith Yankee were saving for another episode, so we won't go too much yep. into that, but they hate the Gith Yankee. And you rightfully hate them. But uh, Mind Flayer Society is ruled by this large, strange creature known as an elder brain. And it is just what you would think. It's this big, huge, massive brain that resides in a brine pool at the center of a Mind Flayer community. And this thing is so powerful with sci- its psionic abilities that it's able... To hold multiple telepathic conversations with any mind flayer within five miles of it. Like, if Mind Flayer Society is a computer, this thing is the motherboard. Like, it's controlling everything, basically. So, yeah, the elder brain. Mind flayers are hermaphrodic creatures, which means that they spawn massive larvae two to three times in their lives. This is one of my favorite Mind Flayer lore. I came across it first when I played the Baldur's Gate 2 game. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. But so these little things, they're also known as tadpoles. They reside in the pool of the Elder Brain. And if there's not a room there, they'll have other pools where they reside in. And they resemble miniature Mind Flayer heads.
1: Where do these things come
0: out of with the mind? <laughs> I player? don't even want to know. Out of their tentacles or something? <laughs> I have or no like... idea. Out of their uh, lamprey mouth? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It's like <laughs> you're born. I don't know. I have no idea. But they're they're left to develop in these pools, these brine pools, and those that survive ten years are selected to be inserted into the brain of other humanoids and so in mind Flayer society the most desirable ones are humans drow elves get yankee get gith- zara grimlocks gnolls goblinoids and orcs and so they put it like in their ear whatever they need to to insert it into the brain of this human and it devours completely their brain absorbs the host's physical form entirely and becomes a Physically mature, but mentally young mind flayer. This process is called seremorphosis,
1: and it is absolutely something that is out of a horror film. (laughs) I almost wonder, too, like you said, they they spawn two to three times in their lives. Like They they have these massive larva spawns. I wonder if it's like for every brain you've eaten, that's like one of the larva Hmm. that spawns. And this is probably going to sound kind of weird, but what if it's almost like they only poop? (laughs) Two to three times <laughs> in their lifetime. And it happens to be like every time, like that's how they end up having these larva spawn is all the brains. You're not gonna find that in the book. <laughs> no. But oh
0: that would be interesting. Mind flare poop. Getting deep and dirty here. Oh gosh. So mind flares, however, they will try seromorphosis on non-humanoid creatures. They love experimenting with these intellect devours, all these things. But the process rarely doesn't end in failure. And when it does fail, it kills both the host and the larva. There are other failed cases, however, that don't end in death. In lieu of attacks on the, their cities, mind flayers may sometimes need to leave and flee and leave their larva behind. And so what will happen is without the proper nourishment, larvae will start to consume each other. Maybe that answers our whole put a bunch of mind flayers in a room. Will <laughs> they start like devouring their own brains? At least the tadpoles, right? <laughs> At least the tadpoles will. And so they'll start to consume each other until only one is left. That one will get hungry. It'll leave its pool in search of nourishment. It'll find a food source if, they, if it does in time. And however, it doesn't explain how this happens, but it becomes this mind flayer-like subrace creature called a Neothalid. These creatures are very strictly hunted down by mind flayer society and killed for whatever reason. <laughs> it's like you're not a true, well, it's, probably a, it's probably an abomination because it's yeah.
1: not a humanoid Can I just say, it?
0: mind flayers are Nazis, they're, <laughs> they're Nazis with tentacles, yeah, like Nazis they really are. Master race that's what they are. They're horrible. <laughs> you could play a game like a crossover campaign where not mind Hitler is a mind flayer. That'd be perfect. Then you have to kill
1: that mind flare Yeah, I almost wonder too. Like, so these larvae consume each other. Do they get bigger with inside that pool? Like, if it just like eats <laughs> yeah. and slowly grows bigger, like, like what this would happen? Gross, if, fat, disgusting it's, larvae. Yeah, it, it Like, what what happens if all of a sudden, like, and this might be something you could write in? It gets to the point where it doesn't need a host body anymore, yeah. and it just becomes this oh, like this disgusting can, worm. This thing? disgusting worm tadpole thing that can like learn to use telepathic and psionic abilities and then it can levitate and just like go around as like this massive tadpole and you only find them where like old and maybe it has societies like, were maybe
0: it's like psionically controls a couple humanoids that bring it more humanoids that then yeah. it just devours them. yeah <laughs> like and it gets fatter and fatter oh. and it's just it's like a squiddy job of the hut basically yeah.
1: at some point it just can't take a humanoid body anymore because it's so big <laughs> it's, cause so, it's gonna so many things <laughs> Oh, or it tries to. It's just this really teeny <laughs> body with a huge, huge larva head. head. <laughs> oh gosh, man.
0: <laughs> so sometimes this process of seromorphosis fails. Like we said, leaving the host body the same as the original humanoid, but with a mind flayer's brain. So like a human, but with a mind flayer's brain. And so that's, that's a failed attempt. And so that leads to a really weird life for this creature because it still desires and needs brains to live. And so now this creature has to, like, chop off, like, basically scalp any creatures and then suck its brains out because it doesn't have its the tentacles and the mouth and everything. So a much more barbaric, gross-like form. Not that the other form isn't yeah, gross. Yeah, right, right. But, like, just, like, machete off the head and just eating it like raw hamburger meat out of its like, skull. Like what a zombie would do or something exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so the difference here is, unlike the Neophilid, which are hunted down strictly and, and killed, Mind Flayers, being geniuses, will keep these creatures and use them as spies to go out into the creatures that uh, it looks like their camps, their settlements to either just spy on them, to be conquered, to bring back more mind flayers. Everything about these things is horrifying. Yeah, they're
1: scary. Yeah, uh, they like we said, they believe themselves to be the greatest race ever. Master race. Uh, all others are only worthy of surviving yep. if they are slaves. Yep. That's the only way that they... slaves are food. Slaves, yeah. slaves are food. Slaves and then food. <laughs> <Yeah>. However <laughs> you want to do it. Uh, the Githyanki. Uh, and the Gith'Zera are the most hated yep. enemies. They have this long-standing rivalry. They were slaves at one point in time, and it's just... And it's grown even stronger. Yeah. Yankee.
0: we'll talk like we said, we'll talk about Yankee and Gith'Zera in a, another episode, but the Yankee have these swords that are specifically made to kill
1: Mind Flayers. Right, right. And so Illithid do have a fear, though. They do do. fear the undead yeah, because the undead are immune to psychic control (laughs) because these things are mindless and stupid and dead anyways. So they're not going to be able to do anything with them. They can't enslave them. They can't eat their brains. They can't do anything like that. I really like aboliths. One of the only races that are respected by the Abiliths are the Mind Flayers because the aboliths remember the origins of almost all races. However, the Illithids, they, they seemingly just appeared without preamble which absolutely scares the apples yeah. and that's why they that's why one they the were their
0: them. origins are just weird and
1: creepy nobody and really knows nobody... where they came from yep. Yep. i don't even think gary Gygax knows where they came from <laughs> i mean he, he does, does from cthulhu <laughs> he's probably a mind flayer now is mm. what he is
4: oh that's
6: weird <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and to end it all off they desire above all to reconquer the entirety of the universe and be lords over it because they were once that it's almost like this story of like what we once had, we want back type yeah. thing. And so they just are looking to get back yeah, to that they supreme want to, rulership. That's exactly the yeah. They
0: want to rebuild their empire as it was to get back to the point that they were on top of everything. So there are a couple of variant species and subtypes, which we normally talk about before this point. But all of it really works in well with knowing all that other mind flare lore. But there is a type that's called the Alhoon, and so, Chris, you might recognize the word Alhoon because I played a Mind Flayer Yep, I wasn't Alhune. there when you played him, but, uh, but I recognize that. You've name, yeah. encountered Alhoon things in our world. the Sebastian campaign um, we did. Yeah. So Alhoon named himself because he was an Alhoon in my world, and he just took on that mantle as the Alhoon. Although it, he was different than what these Alhoons are, and we'll talk a little bit about this. So an Alhoon is a mind flayer who chooses to focus their studies on the arcane arts in addition to the psionic ones. That's what Alhoon did, and like we said, he was banished. He went in search for his own power and glory beyond the elder brain. Alhoons, however, they reach this other point that the Alhoon that I played in my world did not reach they become so powerful that they become undead liches so undead lich mind flayers Uh, awesome (laughs) and this goes against everything a mind flayer's eventual goal is which is to merge both physically and psionically with the elder brain (laughs) which is so weird mind flayers are weird because they're they're super into themselves they think they are the epitome of everyone and yet they're also super master race and like right. a lot of them will. It's almost like this hive mind kind of thing that's like if you break off from this hive mind mentality, you're you're banished. Normally, the eventual goal of Mind flare is to become part of the elder brain. I don't know what that looks like once again.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. I feel like if we if there was a Mind flare book on describing all these processes, it would be like. <laughs> it would say mature content. Do yeah, not right, open. <laughs> right, it'd be just so gross. That's their eventual goal. So if they become an Alhoon and undead lich mind Flayer, then they're completely breaking this. And these Alhoons are outcasts from illithid society. And they're mercilessly hunted down and killed whenever they're found out about, which these things got to be scary because that means they're undead. They are not able to use their psionic abilities. It probably takes a ton of mind flayers to kill one of these things. Oh, yeah, I bet. And so in my world, Al- the Alhoon that we know as a single mind flayer that was a villain, like his quest was always for eternal life. Right. But he wanted to do something more than become an undead lich. He wanted to.
1: He wanted to essentially become a god. Yeah, I mean.
0: and he pretty much made it to that point. Bef-
1: and then Bastion Windsailer, heck yeah, killed yeah. him. But yeah, so that's where I got that idea from. One of the other variant species that you could put four mind flayers in your world—they are actually a variant species, correct? Yeah. These ones actually,
0: are? this is <laughs> Alhun was
1: one of these. Alhun was one of as these as yeah. well, making him even more powerful. These are called the Ulytherid which fewer than 0.1% of larvae become a eulithrid. They possess two extra tentacles, which are twice as long. And because of that, they have an extreme arrogance. Only the elder brain in these society holds more sway in mind flayer society. Apparently in the mind flayer world, having two extra tentacles, apparently tentacles are seen as like a status type or something like that. And with two longer ones, you're held in such a higher respect than if you just have four shorter ones. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's like if you have a little bit longer tentacles, even if you just have four, it's seen as something that's like. Once
0: again, it's that whole Nazi master race thing, like blonde hair, blue eyes. It's like they are such an intelligent race, but they like you said, like it's these two extra twice as long tentacles that make these things like they think they're better than everybody else, and the rest of normal mind player society also reveres them as better than everybody else except for the elder brain. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't go into do are they more intelligent, blah blah blah, but it's these tentacles that make them they're more important. They're better than we are. Yeah. Lastly, there is the vampiric illithids. Man, if you just you know, you wanna get so scary, there's just you don't You don't, you don't need to go this far. You can just keep the mind flayers, but things are already scary scary. enough. But add, yeah, yeah. So vampiric illithids, just like mind flayers, they have unknown origins. How do these things come about? We don't know. They cannot spawn, so they can't make larvae, vampiric larvae, and create more of themselves. They need both brain and blood to survive. They're more feral than other illithids. And unlike other Illithids who are geniuses, they're barely even intelligent. These things are hated and feared, once again, by regular Mind Flayers. They, mind Flayers just hate most variant species yeah, unless they can species. use them to their will, like the failed experiments they can use right, as spies. Right. They just they hunt down variant species and want them killed, except for the Ulitharids that are held in high esteem. Like, any kind of, like... Other form is usually
1: just hunted down and killed. Yeah, I wonder if it's like a vampire ended up like trying to kill one of these things one time or it's like the cause of like a vampire biting a mind but it's that It's like just seems weird. Sparta
0: yeah. with the whole like throwing children that are, are deformed or not strong enough. Like, yeah, it's weird. They're so they're so strong and intelligent, but they do have a barbaric sense to them as well. So that's a lot about mind flares. Mind Flayers are great. because there's a lot about Mind Flayers. Maybe now you have an appreciation like I do of why Mind Flayers are so amazing and cool. Chris, we've got some adventure and encounter ideas for Mind Flayers. Let's share them. So my first idea we actually did in a previous campaign in the Prison Break campaign that I played in, and that was the one that I actually played Alhoon. Flawful Jared, who was DMing for that campaign, came up with a really good place for my character to start with basically we all started in prison and so each of us had like our own jail cells and stuff i had a different setup as El Hoon. basically they used me in that prison as a torture device so if okay if prisoners got unruly or just got to the point where the guards were just like we don't want to deal with this guy anymore he just causes too much trouble they'd bring you to this room they'd strap you into this chair and and then you'd hear, like, shackles from behind you, and it was me, Alhoon, the mind player, coming out, <laughs> <laughs> like, they opened up a gate. I just picture, like, <coughs> way smaller, but the rancor. Yeah, I was like, just thinking that, the in. rancor. And <laughs> you were just strapped to this chair because you couldn't see what was coming, but it was basically they'd starve me, Alhoon, and then when a prisoner was unruly, I'd come out, I'd suck their brain out. And then they were just a mindless thrall that they just threw them like a vegetable into solitary with other thralls and never had to deal with them again. That was such an awesome, brilliant, like they didn't tell me that was going to be my like starting point in that campaign. But for like a mind flare that was so exciting for me as a player. And that was such a great idea for a fantasy world of terrible, cruel punishment to like prisoners. Just we don't want
1: to deal with this guy anymore. He starts fights. He's killing other prisoners. We're sending him to Alhoun. I just imagine this point in time, like, if you had done something wrong, too, and, like, somebody else had done something <laughs> wrong, they're torturing you at the same time. Like, they have this guy come in and sit down on the chair, and they open up your little Rancor cage, and right. you come out. <laughs> but they shorten the chains just enough so that oh, only yeah. the tentacles flop down on the person's face, <laughs> but your mouth can't quite yeah. reach them. So or it's, like, just, just this don't moment. Even let me reach him. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just this moment of, like... Uh, Crap! I'm in here with Alhoun, and Alhoun's just like I I can't (laughs) get him, and you're just starved even more. Yeah, just like making the rabid
0: starved dog even more. I can even think of like in a fantasy world, if a prison could keep this going, but if they know anything about like mind flayers, they could like we talked about how mind flayers. I think it's three times we said throughout their life they will. Let these larvae out, and so if they were to keep these larvae in a pool and were able to keep feeding them, they could just keep on bringing a mind flayer to life once the other one died, yeah. and like just keep having this tool of punishment. And like, ultimate if you can't deal with a prisoner, he gets sent to the chamber of the mind flayer, and then. There's no more problem with him for the rest of the time.
1: <laughs> I have this moment in like in my head where they just like, open the door, kick the person in, and the guy just like stand. There's like a spotlight on him. He's yeah. just like, <gasps> oh,
6: what's going oh, yeah. on?
1: <laughs> like you could you could have like the
0: strap chair like that, or yeah. like you said, maybe they just toss him in naked, and then he's just like in this darkness and just freaking out, like what's going on? And he just hears like, what do we what do we say the mind flayers without
1: like speech? Just like oh,
0: yeah.
6: <laughs> coming
0: at you, and you just feel like tentacles grab your face, and just like no. Or you just,
1: like, hear, yeah, it just, like, reverberates off the walls yeah. in the room, so you don't know where the thing's coming from. Oh, oh that'd be terrifying. That would suck. What's worse, your idea, Chris? Worse than the Rancor. <laughs> worse. Let's see Luke Skywalker deal with that one. So my, my idea is, like, we've talked a little bit about, a, just a tiny bit about Mind Flayers. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we talked about, about with Mind flares is that they're very arrogant, and they each think that they're, like, the bee's knees. Yeah. They think they're, like, hot sauce. <laughs> they right? are the they're, Nazis of the d They're D&D the Nazis, uh, yeah. So Squid Nazis. My <laughs> idea is, like, they have this competition, and so this could be, like, a one-off night campaign. Like, everybody hates playing against Mind Flayers, right? Anytime you've put a Mind Flayer and they were like, oh, my gosh, oh, they're like, terrifying. they're terrifying. Like, in the Sons of Bastion campaign, we went through, there weren't any Mind Flayers. Uh, maybe there were. I don't there remember w- if there were. There were but Mind You guys we, had to face a couple of Mind That's right, we did have to yep. face a couple of them, and they were terrifying. Yeah. So what if you were to give your players the chance to play as Mind Flayers for a one-off night? And their whole goal of the night is to go through like an underdark drow city or something like that, that they have to go in and see who can suck out the most brains throughout the whole night. And so it's just a competition <laughs> of your players to see who is the strongest mind it's player like of the most all. messed up version of like it is. D&D
0: Pac-Man. <laughs> it is. It is. It is.
1: But it's, so it's just this idea of everybody wants to play Mind flare. Mind Flayers are arrogant. They have a score to settle with each other. Like I just imagine like three teenage Mind Flayers sitting in their basement and be like, oh, I'm the strongest Mind flare. No, I'm the strongest Mind flare." <laughs> and you just go out and suck the brains out of as yeah. many things as possible. Just, <laughs> I think that would be fun. That would be awesome. I just
0: picture like this arena where like people now are starving Mind Flayers once again yeah. and they like paint them in different colors and they send them out into this dungeon and that's what you build as a yeah. dungeon. And maybe they put in like, different painted beholders and they're the ghosts <laughs> <laughs> that try and kill the mind players. Yeah, yeah. Just big Pac Man d Yeah, right? That's all. You have to eat a little pill and then they all turn <laughs> into like scared Why beholders. are there big cherries in here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> what are these little pellets on the ground? I want brains, eat? not cherries. It's like three brains on
1: like a stem, yeah. like a cherry stem. So the little like white pellets are just like little like decapitated heads walking <laughs> yeah, right. around. The oh, shit.
0: Oh, this you is like, have, you have little, The like, like, most like, gruesome form of Yeah, you Pac-Man know how you can ever. go from
1: like one side to the other? It's like you have little like television teleportation portals on one side that take it to the other that's so perfect (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: somebody do this we have to do this now this has to be a one shot that's fantastic all right so my last idea i know i've talked about it i think i talked about it on the survival episode with Jim perkins but this we've talked about like apocalyptic worlds and i always said how i want to one day dm a campaign where it takes place in an alternate version of my world of autos mm-hmm. where alhoon actually succeeded right. and brought dominion over the entire world to the mindflayer race and he's right. ruling over them and just like now the world is ruled by mindflayers and so i've always wanted to do a campaign where like the heroes the pcs are as far as they know the last surviving intelligent species like whatever you choose their race to be yeah. or they choose their race to be oh, besides mindflayers yeah, and then you would just, you're fighting hordes and hordes of mindless thralls. That should be pretty easy to defeat, except that yeah. they're hordes. Right. And then every now and then you've got mind players. And so throughout the campaign, you could just have like maybe they find other survivors. And so they're trying to either, I don't know, escape the plane somehow because they're just like, we're screwed here. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way yeah. we're going to win. Or maybe there is an a ultimate weapon or something that they can do. To bring this world back, maybe it's a campaign where it's like these mind flayers are, are leaving now. Like if you're taking that whole mind flayers can are aliens, maybe they're building ships and trying to go into other planets and yeah. go and rule other planets. Maybe this is a campaign that it's like your PC your PCs have a magical like nuclear bomb of sorts, and it's like we need to get to the center of Mind Flayer City. And make this thing explode. We need to yeah. save the rest of the universe. It's like the this. premise
1: of Independence
0: Day, <laughs> yeah. but in mind player world. Right. <laughs> so that was my last idea. I think that would be a super fun. Of course, any kind of apocalyptic setting is oh, really yeah. fun, but that yeah. would be a really fun D D apocalyptic setting to play in. So Chris, we're gonna talk about some of our homebrewed creatures yes, now. Uh, first up we've talked about them in previous story times where you guys have fought them in the maze these yep. are creations that i created face twice men's. so far yeah. yeah how do you how do you like these mirror men uh they suck <laughs> the, se- the first time around wasn't so bad the second, second time, time, time around was, was way worse so yeah these mirror men what are they they're creations of you want to take a guess at who created these
1: what God created. Well, I have these? the outline You'll in front of me. Oh, yeah, that's right.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going well, to go out on a limb here okay. and say Cuthbert. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> why do you
6: think
0: it
1: was Cuthbert? Why would Cuthbert create these things? <laughs> uh, let's see. He says, Your greatest adversary will forever be yourself. Wow, that's really good. So, so it's like you know, that's it's like St. Cuthbert, you know, Cuthbert. It's said. like you
0: know the answer, yeah. like it's right in front of you. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Cuthbert created these things of, of all the gods. To create it, but it's because they were to test a warrior's wisdom and to teach them against the faulty trap of vanity and selfish glory. And St. Cuthbert, one of his quotes is, your greatest adversary will forever be yourself. It is in this quest that the road to victory will lead you to the doors of defeat. So that's something I created as one of St. Cuthbert's quotes in my world. But yeah, so these creatures were created to battle against people and to show them that selfish glory is not a good thing and honestly as a dm i created these things to show players that selfish glory is not a good thing because as you have heard it's the players who go oh i'm so good like we'll defeat these things i never said that no no no. but (laughs) these things always face towards we just in this episode shared a story time where it was oh, I'm using these crazy spells, and I'm shooting these things, and oh, I did so much damage. And all of a sudden, these
1: things Everybody fell characters. down except for, like, yeah. two.
0: It sucked so bad. <laughs> They're all about
1: trying to prove that selfish glory is yeah, not thing. Yeah, I think there was this man. moment He's when we faced them the first time that was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. And then we came up against four of them. And it was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, you guys faced four of them the other time. Oh, did we? It
0: just didn't
1: go it just the didn't, same. yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and then the second time, you were like, Caleb, let me see your spell list Mm. a second. Okay, it doesn't matter. I saw your highest (laughs) spell. We're doing that one. And it was just awful. It was so So bad. So these things are,
0: as far as monster type, they are medium constructs. There is a variant species and subtype, which uh, you may or may not have walking around in this labyrinth. May or may not. It's called a mirror golem. And so this is a... The subtype of these mirror men, and it's a a large construct with six arms, three mirrored faces, two facing forward, one facing backwards, and so basically this thing can never be flanked, which sucks for you as a uh, as a rogue character. Yeah, I'm
1: gonna go with May for 500, (laughs) Alex. I think
0: they're in there. I mean, this thing can copy if it wants the abilities of three of the adventurers and it has six arms. So it just creates weapons like the other mirror men out of thin air and just, Oh, mirror golems would be terrible to face. <laughs> Thanks Cuthbert. Yeah. Right. Thanks Cuthbert. Uh, so as far as special abilities, it has vain vein reflection, which it assimilates an enemy, a PC, and it's usually the one that shows themselves to be the most confident in their abilities. So like we talked about, it's always looking for the PC, the adventure who is just like, I'm the best. yeah, like, right. I am the greatest of this group. Which is
1: probably why they go after the tank most of the time. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> probably. probably. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It even sometimes it changes during battle. It's just yeah. like, Oh, he seems to be getting pretty cocky. Let's assimilate him. So, and then they they also have the mimic ability, which uh, can attack with the power of the one they're reflecting and, and mimic any ability that that enemy has for the day. So two of them mimic Grouthoof and were able to cast any of the spells that he yeah. had taken for the day. And then Grouthoof had the tear of the god poured into his oh, mouth. Oh, yeah, so it reset Because he died. On, he and died so it reset everything. Every <laughs> <laughs> and so they the got all those spells back, which was just terrible. Yeah. But you guys ended up being able to beat them so i think
1: i'm the only one that hasn't died so far <laughs>
0: in here and yeah, we're out uh, of tier yeah, of the gods no you haven't you had and to get out yours of, tier of the gods yep. now yep. Oh, so hopefully no. you don't <laughs> so as far as where are these things found they don't necessarily have a specific place like they're not like oh in the forest like, oh right in the glaciers like no they're they exist anywhere that their existence is necessary basically where Cuthbert decides oh I'm going to place you here they'll just appear basically to maybe there's a follower of Cuthbert who has done some extreme terrible thing of vanity and it would have to be extreme these things right. are just gonna yeah, pop, every just gonna pop up every time somebody looks in a mirror and it's like I look good today yeah but like to teach them a lesson and to try and bring them back to the way that Cuthbert wants them to be the path they want them to be on they also will usually be used to guard powerful objects of the gods. This maze is a perfect place for them. Yep. Whatever this labyrinth it makes sense is that they're here. guarding yeah. for you guys. A couple notes on mirror men. You didn't know this. Now, here's the metagaming <laughs> aspect, right? Hmm. Uh, mirror men have a weakness, and it is their mirrors. So you could specifically try to target their mirror uh, but their mirror has better AC because you're trying to hit something so small rather than their whole entire sure. body. But if you were to hit their mirror instead of the rest of their body, it does double damage. Why to do them. we not think about that? that I don't makes know. I expected you guys to do that, but you guys didn't. But yeah, yeah so I think we
1: even smashed one of them afterwards yeah, or something well, like uh, that too. Tork
0: picked a mirror up and just started like smashing like mirrors yeah. like afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, if you, specifically target these mirrormen's mirrors in battle mirrors are fragile so if you hit it it does double damage it just has a higher ac hmm. Mirrormen can also conjure weapons like we said there they basically come out of nothingness and they look like they're made out of light but they are always going to mirror the weapon that the person that they're assimilating is using upon death a mirror man just completely collapses into a heap of their armor robes And it's mirror face, which you guys like to smash. Right, yeah. (laughs) They are, after all, bodiless and are held up by divine magic. So they don't have actual bodies. Right, right. Uh, They're constructs. One other thing that we have done with the mirror men, because they're mimicking creatures, is whenever I, as a DM, I decide, oh, this mirror man is going to make this attack or use this spell, but just as an added, I think for the most part it it's worse on your guys' accounts. Like you guys aren't like, oh yay, like. I let you guys yeah. roll, for which you your did mirror for Caleb's Kane. like yeah. thunderstorm, <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever and it was he rolled, he rolled used, like yeah. Max for the Mirrorman, and he rolled and like he rolled like, for like his like eight points <laughs> yeah. of damage for his. So like I go, all right, guys, you can you can roll for your Mirrorman, and it's just it's usually pretty awful. It's when you roll high, but it's for the enemy. It's just like ah. Uh. So just a couple adventure hooks for these Mirrormen. If you decide, oh, this sounds cool, I want to use these Mirrormen in my campaign. First of all, you could use these mirror men in a situation of you have a PC who's a paladin, but maybe they're becoming a really cocky paladin. Mm, so they're not that never happens. Of Saint Cuthbert. Yeah. I don't think it really happens. No, it's happened with, yeah. even like, even Paladin Caleb has become, I'm pretty like, for, oh, pretty I'm sure so became oh, my, a little yeah, cocky his for a horse, little bit. He's like, yeah. I'm undefeatable yeah. on my horse. Yeah. You just have a mirrorman pop up, and all of a sudden, the mirrorman is riding a, what would it be, a mirror horse? Like, I think it would be <laughs> a horse made out of light is what I imagine. Yeah. But just, yeah. like, fighting, that'd be actually a pretty sweet scene. Like, it'd be a, a paladin on his horse, in like a jousting competition with like a mirror man on like a light horse. That'd be a sweet minute. The paladin says I'm on a horse, like the (laughs) old
1: spice commercial instantly a mirror man just pops Uh, up.
0: But yeah, the cocky paladin, you're just like you and maybe even the rest of the players. They're just like, you're not really acting too much like a paladin. You're really not humble. Well, maybe the gods decide, Oh, let's teach him a lesson. He needs to. And, we are not advocating player punishment here. No, but no. this would be if you're if you have the right group of players, this could be a good way to have the gods who you as the DM are controlling, give a little bit of a like, hey man, like maybe he's not out to kill him, but to bring him down to, to bring beat him down, him and yeah. And be like, hey, you're not your as good as you think you're not are, a good yeah. thing. Your God does not is not pleased by your vanity. Right, right. Also, like we said, you could use these Mirrormen as as guards and so maybe in your world you create and i'm hoping that in me saying this chris you're going i don't think mitch is giving away what's what's behind this maze because i'm not
1: <laughs> it's not gonna no, be this we've, we've pretty but, much figured it out like yeah? you think you figured it out no not like what's there but oh, it's gotcha. like there's big doors at the front there's yep. big doors at the back yeah There's probably something pretty stinking cool at the back. of And so if you want in your world, you could create maybe there's a God vault where
0: like there's artifacts of the gods like described in D&D books and all you can find them on the Internet. Maybe there's a God vault that holds all these crazy artifacts, maybe even the weapons of the gods. And maybe there's just legions of mirror men that guard the
1: god vault let's not hope that that's the case yeah but... right? <laughs> well,
0: that's what I, that's what i'm
1: saying is yeah, yeah
0: in me telling this as an idea is me pretty much saying you're not gonna find the god vault yeah <laughs> so whether yeah. there's a god vault in my world or not that's not what this yeah. labyrinth is guarding also one last adventure encounter idea i called it the trials of the king and basically i thought it'd be a cool thing for maybe as like a king is reaching the age where he takes over or his father dies and so he's to step up and be the king maybe it's not just a simple like you're crown king but you need to prove yourself worthy of being the king of this land and so you go through this trial and maybe there's a dungeon that you have to go through and do these specific tests fighting a mirror man would be a really good yeah, test it would like be. a vanity and just see how the king does and so that's like something that cuthbert is like the main god of this land and so he creates a mirror man to protect maybe the crown is at the end of this dungeon or whatever and so the king to be has to beat a mirror man to get the crown that would and inevitably the be throne.
1: himself yeah
0: so that's the mirror man Hopefully you guys like that, and maybe some of you go, oh, I want to use Mirror Men in uh, my campaign. Chris, you have a homebrew monster for us, one that we've also faced recently and talked yep. about in, in the stories of your campaign
1: recently. Tell us about your homebrew yeah, creature. Yeah, these are called Ice Shriekers, and what they are is they're basically a creature that takes its form in the ice, and we'll talk a little bit more about what they do later. But they look humanoid in shape, but they're very, very smooth, but they look to be like... Humans or elves or dwarves or halflings or any sort of humanoid esque creature they can take the form of. Monster type, they would be more like an ice elemental. Some of their special abilities, they have ice walk, which is pretty understandable. Like yeah. you can walk on difficult they're terrain like of ice. Legolas and snow. in the snow, but yeah, with ice. Yeah, and snow. but they're yeah. completely ice and not like Legolas at all. <laughs> <laughs> so they can walk very easily on ice and snow. They don't take any movement. Penalties for that one other special ability that i think i probably created this i don't know anything else that has this uh, it's called fluid ice where whenever there is ice this creature can travel through it as if it were a part of the ice so it like morphs into the ice and cannot be seen yeah that's sweet. Uh, and then it becomes flat and invisible to its opponent but it can move instead of moving whatever its normal speed would be of like 30 feet when it's above the ice it now doubles its movement speed when it's in the ice itself, so it moves faster when these it becomes... These things would be, like, terrifying in a... Like, your party
0: is walking across a frozen lake, and these things attack you. Yeah. Like, they'd just be zipping around, and, like, you could run in a different direction and have no idea that this thing...
1: Is it's already in under front of the, the ice, ice yeah. and
0: it just pops up yep. in
1: front of you. Well, like, that's, that's kind of what be, happened the first really couple of times that you guys faced like, you walk, on, the,
0: on a lake of ice. Yeah,
1: you guys walked into the room and then just whoop, just came yeah, out of the yep. ice the first time you came in. Yeah. So they have that. They also have ice missile, which works a lot like magic missile in whatever edition you're using. You have the same exact stats as what a magic missile would be. Except for added on to that, it cuts a creature's movement speed in half Uh, whenever it hits, and you roll a D4 to see how many rounds it's cut in half for. So they move slower in order to be able to use their next attack, which this is the one that I think you got caught in uh, as Karab. (laughs) That's right. Called (laughs) Malleable Ice. And so this spell is cast at the feet of an Ice Shrieker's enemy. The ice becomes malleable as water, and the creature sinks down one foot and then the ice instantly freezes again around their feet. Now, you can make a reflex save in order to get out of the way, and the creature being attacked with the spell must make a DC 14 check in order to make the reflex save. So the way this ability works is, say, Karab. We'll just use Karab, for example. How tall is Karab exactly? Uh, He's pretty tall. He's probably over 6 feet. Over 6 feet. So we'll just use 6 foot as as a good guide marker. So he's six feet tall. He sinks down in one foot, doesn't make the reflex save. Then they'll use the move again and it'll stack on top of himself. So it'll, he'll sink down two feet. And so mm. then he has to make a reflex save again to stay at one foot. That's terrible. So it's like quicksand with It's ice. like quicksand <laughs> with ice. So you gradually go lower and lower and lower. And so if Karab were to go all the way under, say they did six feet, it's just above his head. He's down there now. He's completely covered in ice now. He has to make a fortitude save of 14 per round. After failing five fortitude saves, the creature dies, so you would die, <laughs> and then you are slowly turned into an ice shrieker as well when uh, you're under the ice.
0: That's horrifying. So, I, mean, I, didn't th- I think I failed the first one, did. so I sunk a little. You did, and but kept you guys passing, also had, pass, pass had enough I'm people. A, I'm a barbarian, so yeah. I had a good fortitude yeah. save. But man, that's even worse than quicksand, because quicksand, if you have friends, your adventurer party gathers around, you can like, pull you out. If you sink, like, two, three, four feet down into this ice, it's not like, oh, pull him out! Yeah, it's, pull like, him out. it's like, need oh, we need to chisel him you out or, now. That's or, horrifying. Or
1: burn him out or and something. And then if, yeah. you,
0: if you take that battle on the ice lake again, like, even if you can't sink down and be turned into this ice shrieker... You just keep sinking through the ice and then the ice doesn't crack. You're nope. stuck under the ice. You're stuck yeah, you're in freezing cold water. <laughs> these things are like, like we made really short work of these
1: things. Well, they don't, they don't under have the a right lot of Yeah, They don't these have, things they're can not, kill you they're really not good. like, they're not super strong yeah. as far as HP. They're it fairly a lot of low, really cool powers. but they, if they can get their powers off, if there's enough of them. Now you guys had four of you in a group at mm-hmm. the time, so it wasn't terrible. And I but had a ton were of caught out by fire yourself, spells at the right. time, too, which made it really right. easy. So if you were caught out by yourself somewhere oh, yeah. and you had like three of these things come up to you, they can slow your movement well, speed. Just a couple. You can't run a away.
0: bad fortitude
1: saves. Yep. And, and you're, you're. Yeah, you're, you're screwed. Toast. Yep. <laughs>
0: yep. Frozen, Frozen toast.
1: toast? <laughs> I mean, these things are just very, very mean. But you guys made quick work of them for the most part. But if you hadn't, if you would have, guys would have gotten overwhelmed. And there was a lot of them as you went through the the dungeon, you found out. So as you went further and further along, it was like, oh, no, (laughs) we might be caught by these things out of place. So you can find them usually wherever there's ice. Underground, if there's ice, ice caverns, mountains, if there's ice, frozen lakes, wherever you want to put them. They're not everywhere. Like, I wouldn't advise putting them everywhere. Yeah. But think of some ways that you they could end up in, say, a frozen, like, say, like, it was a spell failure and a wizard died or something like that out in this frozen tundra, and that's how it happened or something. I mean, come up with some way that, that these ice shriekers are out in the middle of wherever they are.
0: I find it interesting, if you haven't, like, put it together through just listening, I was thinking about everything you said, and at the beginning you said these things have... They're different heights. They're different, like girths and shape, and Mm -hmm. like some look maybe like ice dwarf or an ice human, and that's why it is because these things take whatever enemy they're fighting, try to sink them down, and create another one. And so, if it's a dwarf that sinks, it's going to look like a dwarf ice shrieker. It's going to look exactly like the one that went down. A
1: human ice shrieker. Yeah, yeah. So the history behind ice shriekers, the way that they were created, they were formed from a failed resurrection spell. A famous wizard in the first age called Sigmund Rudiger experimented with the beginnings of resurrection magic. He was one of the guys that first perfected it in my world, first was able to teach other people how to do it. And his wife passed away, and he wanted to bring her back. Unfortunately, he tried to cast a spell on her, and even though she had died of old age, which the spell obviously doesn't work on if you read the notes on it, It backfired, and because she was on ice, it fused her with the ice, and she became the first ice shrieker. Hmm. And so that's the way that these ice shriekers were first created (laughs) in this world. Did she (laughs) kill him?
6: No, she did not. Sinks him down? She did not. She
1: disappeared and swam Uh, away? I don't know what you would necessarily call it when (laughs) she's in the ice. But she left, uh, and Sigmund was just like, uh... (laughs) Didn't even know what he he had done. Yeah, didn't even know what he had done. But from then on, that was the legend of how the Ice streakers had been created. We'll move to adventure hooks now. So one of the adventure hooks that I have is uh, you're hired by the king of the city. He, was, he hired this merchant to travel, bringing some of his goods across to another, another town or another country or whatever. And the merchant cart never made it. You get a message from the other city that says it never made it. You go to find to see where the merchant was, and the merchant cart is turned over and riddled with ice bolts. It has these ice bolts within, the, within them. The merchant is nowhere to be found. As you explore, you come up against some of these creatures, and one of them looks oddly familiar because it's the merchant. And so this could end up being something that the king didn't know that these things were around, and so now you have to go on this quest after you find this merchant who had changed into an ice shrieker to then destroy Hmm. all of the rest of the ice shriekers that are around because these things will take over an area if they have the opportunity (laughs) to. The next adventure hook I have, speaking of taking over an area the ice shriekers are running out of space in their nearby ice cavern like there's just too many of them like people hear these legends of either treasure being up there or whatever and they go up and just more and more people are disappearing turning into these ice shriekers they're running out of area they're running out of of space for them to all move and be comfortable and so they go down to find a small village in order to take over more people and have more space to live so that might even be something interesting, too. You come up to the city and it's just like maybe the ice shriekers you put in their, your world are actually still intelligent. And they're just like living normal life, like in these <laughs> houses that they've just changed into ice, like that they've taken over. And that could be one thing. that
0: I, I even think of just if they've taken over a town, maybe it's just like ghost town. But you go into this town and it's every single building just has ice just drained. Yeah. Like it looks like a... Blizzard came through and just froze everything. But these things are living in this ghost town, and if you enter into this this ghost town, they're going to turn you into a ice shrieker themselves. I picture like a horror campaign where you're walking through this ghost town, and all of a sudden you think you see something move in a building, and it's gone. You see, you think you see something moving down an alley, and it's gone because these things can, like you said, like just form back into the ice and so one second they are going to be there, another second they're going to be gone. I have and a so perfect title
1: for this movie. Dropping down, like,
0: blinks of the eyes, they're switching and switching back, and just scary as heck. I have a
1: perfect title for this movie. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. The Ice Has Eyes. Oh, my god! <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. All right. And everybody just stop listening.
0: <laughs> uh. Well, that's all we have for you today on The Meat. We hope that you enjoyed our talk about Minotaurs, Mind Flayers, Mirror Men, and... Ah, uh, Chris messing up the M's. Ice shriekers. <laughs> mice shriekers. Mice shrie- <laughs> Next time. Uh, <laughs> little uh, mice, little shrie- mice that, that eat. Shrie- oh, they're gosh. like banshee mice. Oh, there you go. There's I'm another making one. Making banshee I'm- mice. All right. So we hope that you enjoyed this segment of the meet and talking about our second part of Raw Real Monster series. Before we close out the show, let's pass it over to DM Neil and DM Main Prize for this week's dm nastics
7: welcome back to dm the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds i am dm main prize and i'm joined by the lovely
5: dm neil aka joke Maniac. it's mainly in the beard that makes me lovely me too for this dm we tied it back to episode number 28 which was raw real monsters number one which focused on beholders spiders and more there was no guest for this episode for the dm it was number 11 and it was entitled Monster Mash.
2: He did the Monster Mash.
5: The Monster Mash.
7: Monster Mash. So the idea behind this uh, when I posted it was being a relatively new DM, you know, having the new 5th edition Monster Manual and trying to read through it and get a grasp on all the monsters, I wanted to try and take two monsters and kind of jam them together to create a new one because I'm trying to make my own homebrew setting. So a good way to, you know, flesh out your own homebrew place is to have your own homebrew monsters as well as, you know, the ones everyone's used to. So a good way to do that is to get a monster in the Monster Manual and kind of use it as a template. So I thought, we'll just jam some together. So I grabbed 10 monsters out of the Monster Manual, kind of wrote them down a list, said, hey guys, let's try and combine two of these and see if we can create a brand new kind of thing. So we had stuff like trolls, unicorns, hellhounds, you know, goblins, cloakers, stuff like this. And we said, let's combine these, let's make a new monster. One I kind of want to highlight was done by... I'm going to probably butcher this, but it's K.J. Magel. What he wanted to do was create a goblin-unicorn mix. So he said, you know, this thing was created by some kind of crazy mad mage. And this experiment created the goblicorns. And these are goblins who have a horn in in the middle of their forehead, much like a unicorn. And they also have the ability to teleport. However, they can't really teleport of their own free will because they're too kind of stupid to know how to use it. Uh, So they're probably just teleporting around hilariously, unknowingly, how they're doing it. He created an entire stat block for fourth edition because, you know, all the editions need love. And so if you want to try and take that and convert it into your own homebrew setting, you can use the goblet horns in your own campaigns.
5: So the other one that we wanted to highlight was done by DM Grindle, and he mixed together a cloaker and an azer, and he entitled it Pyre Cloak. I'm already terrified of the monster as is because I hate cloakers. I know I've lost a player to it personally, and I can only envision how much worse it would be if that cloaker was on fire. So his kind of idea behind it was that they're native to the elemental plane of fire, but are accidentally summoned to the material plane by would-be conjurers. They're thoroughly evil and perpetually hungry. They're large creatures that usually swim freely through the the lakes of the elemental plane of fire, but on the material plane, they live a very different life. They feed on both heat and flesh, particularly the flesh of dwarves and magic users. They're an ambush-based predator, and they hide in the heat of a fire. On attack, they engulf their prey and burn them alive, absorbing their flesh and life force. Uh... (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what to think after that. All, all I can think in my head is if someone like the greatest, like the most comforting feeling they have, just like I'm gonna go up to the hearth. Like it feels like home. It smells like home. And now I've been consumed by a pirate cloak and
7: die. <laughs> Very true. So here's my question: Would you rather fight one cloaker or ten goblin horns?
5: I'd still go with the goblin horn, just because. I feel like I've got a better chance because there's no way I wouldn't know they're coming. The Cloaker is just going to get me and I'm going to have no yeah. idea.
7: That Pyre Cloak is a very terrifying creature.
5: I know that for me,
7: the, the one that I had
5: kind of thought of but then didn't actually work all the way out was a troll dragon combination because I figured dragons are ridiculous. Why not give them the ability to regenerate? It, seems it, makes,
7: like... it only makes sense. It's <laughs> the next logical step. So if you guys want to get involved with these kind of challenges, these creative exercises, where you're just doing crazy things like smashing up uh, various monsters, or in our past segments we talked about, you know, collaboratively creating gods or villains, definitely join up on the forums. We've got a lot of people signing up every day, and the conversations we're having are pretty amazing. To
5: do that, just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I got to get a pump.
2: That's it. That's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it.
0: Well, that's all we have for you today. We hope that you enjoyed our talk about Minotaurs, Mind Flayers, Mirror Men, and... In- Ah, Chris, messing up the M's. Ice shriekers, <laughs> mice shriekers. Mice shrie- Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, <laughs> little mice, little mice that eat- shriek. Oh, They're gosh. like banshee mice. Oh, there you go. There's another them, one, banshee them. mice. That's all we have for you today on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, Chris. If they would like to write into us, send us some emails, and uh, get in touch with us, maybe they have some homebrew monsters of their own that they like to tell us about, so that we can, in a future
1: mailbag of holding share about those where can they reach us at yeah you can send us your emails at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com send us anything that's over 140 characters that you can't post on twitter because sometimes twitter is (laughs) annoying that way send them there dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com you can also send us a five-star review on itunes keep getting the publicity out there the more five-star reviews we have the more people look at it and think that we're actually kind of cool so send us send them that way Uh, Let's have more people join the block party. We're also on Stitcher. You can join us there as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS
0: underscore block. That's at DMs block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have show updates and just uh, updates all around and news on dungeon mastering in general. We have a Patreon shout-out for this week, and this week's Patreon shout-out goes to...
1: Robert, Robert Nielsen. Nielsen. Thanks, Thank you Robert. so much,
0: Robert. You are awesome. His name is Robert Nielsen. He is a platinum dragon. Platinum dragon. dragon so one of the
1: most revered that we be have. Be
0: afraid of the platinum dragons. Thank you, Robert. We appreciate it. With that, we'll see you again next week on The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God. Killing
1: characters. And
0: lowering the egos of every other person at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on dungeon mastering.
6: bye